All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck billies? What the fucking steens? You got it. This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you to all of you who came out to the shows this last weekend. I had a great time at The Egg in Albany. It was like performing inside a piece of a very large piece of Danish modern furniture. Uh, Great crowd. Had a great time. A lot of good riffs, a lot of good moments that will never be had again. Moments that were 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 only that for that one night into the ether they went. Thank you, all you people in Washington D.C. who came to the Sixth and I Synagogue. That was harrowing for me. I I had never performed at a synagogue, a functioning operating operating synagogue. Uh, with a bima that had four Torahs in it, two of them rescued from Germany. There was some heavy Jewish baggage in the air. It was a, a classic old synagogue. I, it was it was a it was a bit overwhelming. I was a bit fragile. I'm happy to report that uh, I believe I made more than I actually made on my bar mitzvah, which was good because I you know it was a longer set and it took a lifetime to create what I did there on Saturday and really only took a few months for me to memorize a bunch of stuff in a language I didn't understand back in 1976 when I was 13 years old. In 1974, when I was 11 years old, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles came out, and I remember seeing it. I don't know how I saw it or why I saw it or who took me at that age, but I I was never the same after that. And the reason I'm telling you that is Mel Brooks is my guest today on the show, and I couldn't be more excited, uh, honored, and uh, just um, blown away. And I'd like you to hang out throughout my intro here. I'm going to do a little business, but I'm going to set up the interview a little bit. Let me do my business because this is a business because I want to make sure people know that I'm touring. I don't know what I have to do uh, when I tweet on a Friday night that I'm in Albany and people tweet back at me, oh man, why didn't you tell me I was th- that you were coming? I don't know how much I have to tell you. I can't, I can't come door to door here. I don't have that kind of time. So let me just give you a quick rundown of what's happening in the next few weeks. This Friday, February 8th, I will be doing a live WTF and a live stand-up show at the Wilbur in Boston, Massachusetts. Saturday, February 9th, I will be in Chicopee, Mass at the Hukilau. I don't know what that is. I got a feeling it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. But if you live in the Chicopee area out there in Western Mass, I'll be at the Hukilau. Mike Lawrence is going to be with me on all these dates. On Thursday, February 14th, Bogarts in Cincinnati, Ohio. Friday, February 15th, the Capitol Theater in Columbus, Ohio. Saturday, February 16th, I will be at the Vancouver Comedy Festival doing a live WTF. Sunday, February 17th, I will be doing a live stand-up show at the Vancouver Comedy Festival. Thursday, February 28th, I will be at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon. Friday, March 1st, I will be at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. Saturday, March 2nd, I will be at the McDonald Theater in Eugene, Oregon. Saturday, April 13th, I will be at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco. You might want to get tickets for that. It's probably going to sell out. A lot of these West Coast ones might. And on Friday, April 19th, I will be going back east to uh, Music Fest in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That said, Mel Brooks... I, I can't tell you what an impact this man had on my life growing up. I thought he was the funniest person alive. I remember, do you remember seeing Blazing Saddles for the first time and just how your brain exploded 
because you couldn't even handle how fucking funny it was? Do you remember seeing Young Frankenstein for the first time? That moment for me when he pours hot soup, uh, when Gene Hackman as the blind man pours hot soup in his pants. Oh my God. Oh my God. I waited anxiously for a silent movie to come out. I remember like being so thrilled. And so I, I was completely, completely enamored and amazed at Mel Brooks. And I was watching, like, he was doing, he did a lot of media lately, and, he, and I got a box set here, The Incredible Mel Brooks, an irresistible collection of unhinged comedy, brought to you by Shout Records. Uh, is I started watching it, because quite honestly, I needed to do some research. I need to do some research on Mel, because Mel had been around. There's, if you look at the, at Mel on television, there was a recent interview with Dick Cavett in, uh, I think, 2010, maybe, and then there was a recent interview with a British guy. And then there was just dozens and dozens of appearances on Dick Cavett, on Johnny Carson. Uh, smart, there's a lot of stuff on here, short films he did, very rare stuff on this box. But I had to do some research because I knew there was very few things that Mel Brooks had not talked about, about you know, in terms of himself publicly. It was all out there. So, you know, I wanted to have my experience with him. I thought, well, how was I gonna get yeah i want to get around the public narrative of mel brooks at least a little bit i want to connect with the man i want to connect with the man i want to have a conversation with mel brooks it hasn't been had not only does he have the this this amazing box set but you know mel's got some things going on yeah his american masters documentary mel brooks make a noise premieres monday may 20th on pbs i would watch that and he will be receiving uh, the AFI's Life Achievement Award on June 6th this year, 2013. That'll be on TNT. He's amazing. And the other thing I, I realized about interviewing Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, to be quite honest with you, is that these are not stand-ups. Oh, both of these guys started doing shtick. They started doing stand-up. And then they went into writing. And then they went into movies. Mel Brooks, you know, his, his entire life, he's made movies. He's directed movies. He's written movies. He's written television. He's produced movies. And then, you know, later on, you know, they make a, a musical out of one of his movies. He's won Oscars, Emmys, everything. Mel Brooks won life. And you feel that. And it's a very different experience talking to somebody who took their comedic talent and just did everything they possibly could with it. And the joy in, in, in his being, both him and Carl, of, of the accomplishments and the achievements they were able to do with their senses of humor is, is tangible and beautiful. It's beautiful. So I get this uh, opportunity to interview him. And I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm doing a lot of research, primarily just to know what he's talked about and, and, and figure out what's essential, what I know he might talk about, and then just try to get into the frame of mind where I can just engage and have a, an authentic and you know, present conversation with a, with a comedy icon and a personal hero of mine. So I'm going over to Culver Studios to interview him. Uh, that's where his office is. And, uh, and I get over there and it was, is a little daunting. Cause I bring, I brought a boom generally now and Mel Brooks is very, has a lot of clarity. He's on the money. He's, his timing is right there. His brain is all there. Everything is great. He's hilarious, but I didn't know what I was going to get into. I bring a boom. I bring my mics. I bring the bag and I go up to his office. I see his receptionist there. The office is empty. There's two rooms. And she said, I said, hi, I'm, I'm Mark Maron. I'm here to interview Mel Brooks. And she says, okay, we just go in the other room and set up. And I walk in thinking I'm just going to set up and there's Mel just there. He's just there in the room. 
and I listened to this moment because I had the mics on. I had my, I, a lot of times I walk up and, and put it on before I get there just to, to capture some environment, some tone, something might happen just to get a feel of place, some placement. And I listened to this thing and I'm like, I had no idea he was going to be in there when I walked in there. And there's a change in my voice that was so immediately reverent and respectful and awed. It was just a a beat. And it was literally like I walk, you know what? Let me just play you this little snippet first before I, I, I begin uh, the intro from Mel. Head on in. Mr. Brooks is in here and I think we're going to set you up at this table right here. Okay, good, good, good. Oh, hello. How are you, sir? Nice to see you. You have trouble finding this place? No, no, no problem at all. Did you hear it in my voice? It was almost as if I changed. Now, what you're going to, it just, it was like, ah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it would. It would just. I just. I, I felt it, and I it, usually I'm, I'm very candid, and I don't make a lot of differentiation in my tones with uh, with guests when I meet them. But it's Mel Brooks. It's Mel Brooks. And in my heart, I I seemed. I, I think in retrospect, what I did in my attempt to to connect with Mel as immediately as possible is that we are both Jews, so I went full Jew. I went full Jew. So if there may be points during this. Uh, we're, they were doing this conversation where I involuntarily drifted into the 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 voice and intonation of my inner Altakaka. All right, there are moments where I become an old Jewish man, I believe. And there was a beautiful moment that I, I don't think we could put in here because you just couldn't hear it. Uh, it was about in the middle of the interview. Mel was about to tell me a, a story about Gene Wilder and he, he, uh, he says uh, he wanted to stay at that hotel. What's that hotel called? And I said, I don't know. You know it. It's a hotel. It's in. It's I. It's in Bel Air. It's uh. What is it? I'm like, I don't know. Is it a Beverly Hills Hotel? No, it's not it. That's not it. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Is it the uh, the other one, the Wilshire? No, no. It's in Bel Air. It's a, hold. Hang on. Hold on a minute. And Mel gets up and he walks over to the door where and looks into the room where his assistant is. He goes, "What's the name of that hotel? It's up on that street. It's in Bel Air. What is it?" She's like, "I don't know." I'm like, "Oh, come on." He says, "It's the. It's in Bel Air." She's like, I'm not sure what it is. Let me Google it. It's a guy. Come on. You know what? It's in Bel Air. And then she says, is it the Bel Air Hotel? He goes, that's it. The Bel Air Hotel. And he comes back and he continues. It was beautifully timed, naturally timed and hilarious. But look, here's what I want to tell you. Me and Mel hit it off. And uh, in, in, in a real way, I think he took a liking to me. And we had a conversation afterwards and something happened after the interview uh, you know, revolving around, you know, Carl Reiner, you know, he was, uh, you know, he set me up with Carl Reiner. And also he, there was a, there was a bit of a, there, there's a very funny thing that happened after the interview. And I'm going to tell you what happened after the interview. Um, so let's go now to, uh, back to Mel Brooks's office. And this is my conversation with Mel Brooks. Sometimes I go to other people's places. You know, I, I the thing got known for me being in the garage. Uh, people would come over and do it. And I've done like 350 of these things. But like I've traveled a bit. I traveled up to see uh, Jonathan Winters. Oh, I traveled up good. to see, uh, I went to Robin Williams' house. I went to Shelly Berman's good. house recently. Oh, great. <laughs> all great guys. They're all. Right? Uh, Shelly's a. Uh, Shelly was like the first of the, the guys who made records, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, he was he, like number one. I don't I don't remember anybody before Shelley Berman who made comedy discs. You know, maybe Lenny, maybe Lenny. Bruce. Yeah, he was the first to like um, win a Grammy. He yeah. was the first comic to play Carnegie Hall. Yeah, but you remember Lenny Bruce? You saw him? I saw him at the um, someplace in in San Francisco. Uh huh. And he was magnificent. I'll never forget one of the jokes he said. It was really creative and appealing. Yeah. It was, he said, uh, if they had killed Jesus in an electric chair yeah. instead of crucifying him, right. would we all be wearing little electric chairs on a chain right, around right, our right. neck? And yeah, yeah. I'll never forget that. I mean, that was so brilliant and yeah, so yeah. funny. And, you know. I can't, I, like, I have no sense of what it was like to, like, when I think about your whole career, because like, I, I know you talk to a lot of people and you've done a lot of talking lately, yeah, yeah. which is nice. And then I'm thinking, like, well, how am I well, going to... Did they ever give, give you that... I got the box set. It's yeah, terrific. Okay. And I'm watching it. Did and... you pay $11? What did you pay for it? What do you want me to say? Yeah, I, I did. I paid 11 You're Okay, good. Because that's... <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I got to pay. pay. I, I pay. You do? You pay for yours? You know, they gave me about 50 for nothing. Right. And then after that, the manufacturing's hard, hard cost before shipping, before, uh, before all the paperwork. Yeah. Before, be, yeah, before yeah. the artwork and right, everything, right. just the hard disk. Yeah, the disk is eleven dollars. Right. So they that's the cost. The, yeah, the cost. Yeah, yeah. So they cautiously asked. They said, "Would you, you know, if you want others, do you mind paying eleven dollars?" <laughs> okay. okay. What's what's Fine. my cut of me paying yeah, for yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I thought it was great because I, I remember uh, when I first heard the two thousand year old man, I was hysterical. I think I saw the animated version, and there's something about the timing of it's all very familiar to me. Uh, you know, being a Jewish guy and not, uh, my parents were from Jersey, so they were relocated where I grew up in New Mexico. But it was always a connection. Yeah, of course, this, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, something yeah, Jewish. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I think I, I was the only, you know, 12, 13-year-old kid that modeled myself after Mel Brooks. There was a, a timing oh. there. <laughs> you know, like, I was an old Jewish man at 15. Oh, my God. I, hate, I Let me apologize for that. You know, <laughs> but, Poor kid. But I mean, you were forced to hear that and model yourself after but this. But there's a timing to it. You know, you have this amazing timing. I was watching the stuff, uh, the old Cavett stuff, and there's something innate about uh, that timing. And, and I believe that with the show shows and everything else, you, that the Jewish timing dictated most of modern comedy. Yeah, you know, it has to do with fear. Yeah. You know, there's, an, there's a great energy. Mm-hmm. That fear can create. Yeah, you know, is that is that guy coming for me? Is that you know, is that a is that a fucking swastika? Whatever, you know, there's a, like fear. It's it's always lurking. Yeah, yeah. So no. I mean, and it creates it, it creates a a pizzazz, an energy. Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> it's a fight, panic. fight or flight. Yeah. is right yeah. there for every Jew. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? And there's also that sort of uh, you know, being funny is sort of an acceptable way of being hostile. Right. Which I I think is helpful. Right, but it, it, the Jewish experience that you know that you come from is is so far away from yeah. uh, from my experience, but maybe my grandparents' experience is something you always hear Probably. about. But I mean, I have no idea. It, it's what, it's kind of post immigrant, second right. generation immigrant, right? Street street corner, yeah. Dark dark blue double breasted coats, you know, slouch hats, <laughs> uh, white on white shirts. Uh-huh. Uh, bizarre ties, really. The so, but your generation was the first to sort of leave the island. You went to Brooklyn. You right. weren't on the Lower East Side exactly. selling fish. We weren't on the Lower right. East Side, so we went to Brooklyn. We were, we were, 
we were rather sophisticated yeah. for you know for for immigrants. And then the next generation after you went to the island and became uh, yes. Alan King. They went to Jersey or the sure. island. Either way, I mean, yeah. but the, you know, they went to Westchester. They right. Went to, but what was that like? I mean, what was the situation familial wise? What was your family like? Well, it was, it was kind of screwed up and wonderful at the same time. Uh, my father passed away. He died. Like I was on a show once, and and uh, the announcer who was interviewing me said, "So uh, when you were only, you know, when you were only two and a half or so, and then you lost your father." And I took a pause. I said, "No, no, no, no." Uh, he he was dead. He wasn't lost. We knew just where he was. He was in the back, and finally they took him away and they put him in some cemetery. But we we, we never lost him. Just, we were never that careless with 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 our father. Yeah, we yeah. cared about him. You know? He just finished. He was done. Yeah, but but uh, how did that happen? You don't know. Yes, tuberculosis. You know, which really? was was I guess rampant. In uh, he died on January fourteenth, nineteen twenty nine. I'm very good with. Right, you know, yeah, with, with the dates, dates with dates and things. So, so uh, and uh, my mother, Kitty, yeah, Kitty Kaminsky, Kitty, Kitty Kaminsky, yeah, Kitty Kaminsky, yeah. Uh, raised four boys. You know, those days diapers, sure, you had to wash them. Yeah, they know? brought them, and it was yeah. cloth. I'll never forget one one time I wanted to see uh, a movie, and I didn't. I, you know, she gave me three deposit bottles. Yeah. Each one three cents a piece. Milk bottles. Milk bottles. Yeah. And and so that was nine cents. You needed a dime. Yeah. And, and she went to she this is true. She yeah. went next door to Mrs. Miller yeah. and borrowed a penny. Yeah. Uh, so I could make the dime. <laughs> to and yeah, but uh, she was, you know, I don't know whether she was typical, but she was a wonderful, loving, caring, one beautiful mother. Were you, you religious? Know? Not at all. So that my, my grandmother away. lived next door at one point, and she was very religious. But my mother, you know, we had ham sandwiches. And sure, stuff, you but know? next door was a kosher kitchen. Yeah, next door, you know, my my, my grand grandmother would walk in. To, there'd be a lot of skeleton. You know, thank God tenements had a long walkway from the door to the kitchen. It was like a yeah a hallway. Yeah, yeah, railroad and so, department. And and it took my grandmother a little while to get to the kitchen. So we had about forty seconds to get everything. Kosher, cleaned, you know, and then put the ham away. But you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it was great. It was so just, was it? Was that? So there were a lot of people. Like I always get the feeling that in the, in that in those days, you know, family was sort of a, it was a, a community. So your your grandmother was next oh, door. Oh yeah, yeah. There was yeah, a, uncle Uncle Joe was right somewhere in the building on the fourth floor. Yeah, and uh, around the corner, and we were on South Third Street. Yeah. So on South Fourth Street, there was. You know, my Aunt Minnie, and the, I mean, it was, it was just... Everybody was around. There were just, people were all around. And you, you could know? just go down the block and go to one someone else's house oh, and absolutely. hang out and eat. And absolutely. You'd, my, you'd always get caught in trouble by someone yeah, you knew. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> you couldn't you, get away with anything. You, you were told on, yeah. <laughs> we saw, yeah, uh, Mel was in Rooney's pool room. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just looking, you know, yeah. <laughs> but we were caught. Yeah, always, my right? mother, My mother had this... My mother was cute. She was a redhead. Yeah. And she said that... Uh, Eddie Cantor wanted to marry her, uh, but she married Ida. They all grew up on, on Henry Street yeah. in the uh, Lower East Side. Yeah. Uh, my, I have a grandson, Yeah. and my son Max named him Henry. Was she serious about Eddie Cantor, or was that yeah, just... That was, no, no, she was, she was serious about it, really. So I met, you know, I was writing for Sid Caesar, yeah. and there was a, I guess there was a big, 
on a benefit. And Eddie Cantor was at the benefit. And I went into his dressing room, and I, you know, one of the writers of the show of shows, so it was, it was okay. It was in night 49 or something, yeah. 40, 50. And um, I said, you knew my mother, you know, Kitty Kaminsky. And he looked blank. You know, oh, looked really? Blankly. Yeah. And I said, uh, yeah, she said, you really loved her, that you really were interested, you know, going to marry her. Yeah. And he said, mm, <laughs> I hate that, you know, to tell you this, but, you know, I don't, I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah. And I, I said, oh, well, okay, you know, well, look, maybe, maybe it was a, an, a fantasy, an idle fantasy. Did, because, did you mention it there? Yeah, no. So well, I was leaving. I was leaving, and I stopped at the door, and I said, wait a minute. Katie, Kate, Katie Brookman. Right. Oh, he said, yeah. I, I want them to marry her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, he, he, it was so, you know, it, it, she just gave me the wrong name. You know, you yeah. know, she gave me her husband's name, sure. you know, my father's name. That's, an, that's a panicky moment to, to wonder whether your mother was delusionary. Yeah, yeah. In the, <laughs> lying and, 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 here, and here he said, oh, I wanted to marry her. You know, I was crazy about it. She was a red-edged, freckled face. Where blue, did you? blue eyes. Yeah, that's my mother. Yeah. That's, a, that's rare in a yeah, Jewish woman. Yeah, that, yeah. All those things. Yeah. Red I, hair, blue eyes. Right. Yeah. She, she could have been Woody Allen's mother. And how many uh, how many brothers do you have? I have three. I had three older brothers. Yeah. You know, I was the baby. So you I, had people looking out for you. Oh yeah. No, no. There was a lot of a lot of my brother Lenny used to give me a half a buck on Saturday night. I mean, that was a, a, a veritable fortune. Uh -huh. Literally. I mean, a half a buck. You could go. You could start in the delicatessen. Yeah. You could have two frankfurters yeah. with sauerkraut. Yeah. You could have it with beans. Yeah. And with with French fries. Yeah. With a with a Dr. Brown cream or celery soda. Yeah. For a quarter. I mean, for, for How much? that whole thing was about a, about a quarter. Oh. And then, then you could go to the movies, and yeah. I think that was about twenty cents. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, or or fifteen cents. I don't know. The movie wasn't wasn't much. And after it, you had a dime left for the ice cream parlor oh, for yeah. a scoop with a little fifty cents. Sauce. Yeah, a whole half, night out, half a buck, <laughs> a whole night out. I mean, it was it was I was deliriously happy. So with the, living, uh, living in Williamsburg, and you know, yeah, the absence of your father did that play heavy on you? I mean, like in growing up. I didn't up? know. I, I, frankly, my brothers loved me. Yeah, my older brother, my br older brother Irving was. Literally a father figure, he was a kind of a saint. He went to Brooklyn College for eight eight years to become a pharmacist and uh, chemist because he was working eight hours a day at Rosenthal and Slotnick uh -huh. you know, in the, in the garment center. Yeah, and uh, he he was great. He was he was sweet and good and kind. He'd come home, he'd get a, he he put a mouse in a bag. It would rattle around. He would put some, put it in over the gas stove and gas it. Yeah, oh, right. Know? That's he right. Gassed, humane. Yeah, he would yeah. gas the mouse and then he would dissect it. To, you know, to, for and school. I thought, you know, for school. <laughs> you know, it was a biology. And yeah. I, I thought it was both, both bizarre, brutal, and, and wonderful. You know, yeah, it was yeah. great. It was like, he was like early Quentin Tarantino or something. You know, he really knew, <laughs> he really knew how to go all the way. You know. That's sweet. So when did the like when did you start getting a sense that like Eddie Cantor? He's a good because the weird question with you is that you, you seem to have a very strong uh, attraction to musical comedy. Oh yeah, and, and music, and it's uh, I it's know, part I, of your being. I can give you the like the minute it happened, the ten seconds it it burst, the, you know, in my yeah. brain, and I said, "No, I don't want to be a shipping clerk at Rosenthal and Slotnick." <laughs> 
No, I don't even want to be a cutter or a lace salesman, yeah. which is really hard. Th- those were the three jobs? Oh, that was, a big, that was big stuff <laughs> in the garment center. Everybody at 365 South 3rd Street was headed for, for 7th Avenue for the garment center. We that were was all, the whole business. Well, we were all designed to end, you know, to end up in the garment to, to center. To work machines, but not to sell schmatas, yeah. but to, to actually cut. And... To cut machines or, or, or to be a shipping clerk. Right. Or if you had some, I don't know, personality, you could be a salesman. Right. You know, or... Could have done that. I could have done that. Yeah. I, I think I would have been a terrific salesman. I yeah. Would have, I would have sold... Well, and part of, you your, part of you is, right? I said to my... I, want, I did work there, you yeah. know, you know, occasionally. And uh, I said to uh, Miss, Mr. Slotnick, Rosenthal and Slotnick, how did you come to do this? He said, my, my parents were farmers. This is big stuff. This is... In this like is, where, in Poland or yeah, Russia? Yeah, Poland, 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 yeah. In Vilna. He said, this is big stuff. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, look, <laughs> machines, factories, people, right. you know, luncheonette. So, all right, so you got out of that. So what was the moment, the musical moment? The moment my my uncle knew. Joe drove a cab. If a, if a big Parmalee cab, Parmalee was the name of the cab yeah. company. You know, I love these names because you, you only hear these names mm-hmm. in your bits and Woody yeah. Allen's bits, yeah. Rosenthal and uh, yeah. uh, classic. But that yeah. was all Jews. But 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 there was an enormous taxi company in New right. York that had like uh, – it had nothing in the front but the driver and a place for trunks, for steamer trunks. Right, right. And in the back, sometimes, they'd, you know, they, they could sit somehow four or five. Like a checker cab. Yeah, checker. Yeah, right, it was, the big it was, back. And Parmalee the, was the beginning of checker. And the driver was like in a box. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so Uncle Joe drove one of those. And when you saw one of those cabs coming down the street without a driver, just driving by itself, you know, miraculously. Yeah. It was Joe because he was incredibly short. Yeah, my whole family was short. <laughs> just a hat. <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're lucky if you saw just a hat. And you know, my mother was very short. Yeah. I mean, she was about four foot three or something. And uh-huh. she, I, I, my one of my in my routine, I'd say my mother could walk under a coffee table with a high hat on. You know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. get a big laugh. And and but, but what is amazing when I think about it? I'll go back to Uncle Jim yeah. in one second. I reached for the sky when I was out to grab my mother's hand to cross the street. I reached as high as I could reach. And I find, I got her hand, and she took me across the street safely. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, so if she was about 4'2", what was I, a foot? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, <laughs> Very small. How, yeah. how small was I? I must have been incredibly small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, Joe would come down the street, and as a favor to the doorman on Broadway... He would, uh, the ones especially that lived in Williamsburg, and a lot of, a lot of people lived in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He would, as a cab driver, he owned his own cab. He would take it home. So going back over the, over the Williamsburg Bridge, he would ask the doorman at the various theaters, like at the, the Alvin happened to be the theater I went to. Yeah. He, he would take the guy home for nothing. You know, they sure. wouldn't throw the flag. You know, right. The flag. So... The guy at the Alvin, I'm pretty sure it was the Alvin, gave my Uncle Joe two tickets to a show that just opened. Now, we're, we're talking, I'm pretty good with the dates. I'm pretty sure it was 1935. Yeah. Could be 36, but I think it was 35. So you're like 11? Uh, no, I'm like nine. Yeah. And it's, I'm like nine years old, and the show is... A Cole Porter show called Anything Goes, which is playing right here now. Yeah, you know? everything comes yeah, back. Yeah, everything comes back. And a wonderful, wonderful show, Anything Goes. And so Joe got two tickets 
to a matinee, and he said, "Okay, get down on the floor." So that because the flag was up, and you're yeah. supposed to have a passenger. Sure. Uh, if the flag is down, if the flag is up, you're supposed to be empty. Yeah. So he's supposed to be empty, and I so I lay on the floor, and I saw the Chrysler Building. Uh, yeah, I saw the Empire Building first. You know, Empire yeah, State. Yeah. So that was 34. There's the Chrysler Building. I'm just, we're at 42nd. We're approaching 54th Street. You know where the Al- yeah, yeah. where the Alvin Theater is. 52 actually, and uh, we go up all the way to the second balcony, and we we got the last row in the second balcony. It's free. These are free tickets. Yeah. Although the theater was crowded, and there they are. There's Ethel Merman and and Billy Gag- William Gaxton, and they're singing and they're dancing, and it's anything goes, and I'm listening to You're the Top and. All through the night. I mean, these incredible songs, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I'm just one goosebump. I'm just so I'm so thrilled. And I said to myself, I've said, Melvin, yeah, yeah. I said, is there any way, any way where you could live in some part of this world if yeah. you could just mop the floor, carry posters? I mean, anything where you could be part of that. And I was determined. Yeah. At nine to set my cap for this world of musical comedy. And it only took 60 years to get there because <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, there was, there, there was a, little, a little bit of a, a bypass going into movies and, you know, doing, but, but I, started, a, I started in theater. But that was your first, that was the first love. Oh, that was my first and deepest love. And you can, you can feel that too. I yeah. mean, just, especially when you sing a song, it's crazy. Yeah. You just lock into that. I mean, even if you're in a, like some of the footage of you singing, even if it's a small crowd, I, I feel like you picture yourself in front of a full audience. Oh yeah, no, I, I always, I always do. It was red velvet seats filled with Jews and New Yorkers, you know, and I'm, I'm singing or I'm dancing. Yeah, but when, how, when did uh, so you finish up high school? Would you, in, you just, you just worked odd jobs. Uh, I did a lot of odd jobs in the garment and, district and, and whatnot. Uh, my, my real jobs were summer jobs in the Bush. In, when you were a kid, uh, yeah, in the you were going the mountains in the in the mountains. First, as a a bus boy, a rowboat tender. How does that happen? Why is it that like there are certain people Jewish know people? people? You know, like right. there was a guy. There was one really famous guy, truly famous in our neighborhood in Williamsburg. His name was Don Appel. Yeah, who wrote a play, a very good play called uh, "This Too Shall Pass," and and was the uh, later was the director. Of the Vaughn Monroe, <laughs> you've never heard of that guy. He was, was, had his, he was a singer with his own orchestra, uh-huh. uh, television show, uh-huh. and uh, but he was always a social director in the summer when he started. So he's from a neighborhood guy. Neighborhood guy. Yeah, he was in a play called Native Son with Canada Lee, based on uh, a, a wonderful book. Yeah, by William Wright, and uh, he knew the mountains and he thought I would wait for him to come home me and another guy called Joe Gavanter we'd wait for him we'd sit on the on Mr. Shanus's uh grocery box that that fill it up with ice and put milk in it in the morning but at night it was closed so we sat on it it was empty and uh he would come and and he would perform the whole show for us on the street I mean on the street yeah you know right after how many kids 11 30 there were about three or four of us, but Joe and I would, yeah. would stay to the end. Yeah, and uh, and then we would do our stuff. I would tap dance. I would sing. I would do you know. And 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 then he he sent me away to the Butler Lodge in Hurleyville, New York, and uh, I they liked me, 
Uh, what, what was it like up there? You know, you hear about these. Uh, I don't even. When did the Catskills happen? Who were the? I mean, it, it seems to be always a, for years. You just hear talking about middle class Jews go up there, but it happened in the thirties, right? You know, in the late twenties, early thirties, there were these uh, places that where where they rented cabins, and then they began building hotels to house them. Brown's Hotel, yeah. Grossinger's, the yeah. Concord. I mean, you, you right. know, really, really immense hotels with uh, gyms and swimming pools and beautiful rooms, and, yeah. you know. And, and when you went up there, you yeah. were doing what? Just anything? Up, up well, tables? when I was up there, I, was, I started as a busboy, and then I, you know, graduated to waiter. And then I always, Don always made, Don Appel, I always made sure that I met the social director up there, and, and, I, and I, I would be an alternate if they needed somebody in the chorus, and they, they were mostly reviews, reviews, mostly reviews, yeah, sketches, right, and and, and songs, and uh, once in a while there would there'd be a play, you know, yeah, but you know they no stand up yet, no, a lot of guys, would, yeah, reviews with with stand up comics, yeah, I have a guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, there was there was always did one, you speak Yiddish? Very little. I remember once I was sent to uh, the King David Hotel up. I in think, Jerusalem? You know, no, in, in Ellenville. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in Ellenville. And I said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I met a girl who was so thin. I tell you, this girl was so skinny. I took her to a restaurant. The head waiter said, check your umbrella. Yeah. I usually get a laugh. Yeah. But I got, Yeah. This is very strange. I told those jokes. And I began to listen. And what I heard really when I listened was, English. English. Because I... You know, they, they yeah. only wanted Yiddish. It's interesting, though, isn't it? There must have been a lot of Yiddish-speaking people around in, in your neighborhood. No? Oh yeah, there were plenty, and I and I did understand a lot, but but uh, it was it was difficult for 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 a little kid. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't talking to my grandmother. I was talking to my mother. I was talking to my brothers. I was talking to my schoolmates. So like your and mother would probably talk to your grandmother in Yiddish. Absolutely. They didn't want you to hear yeah. what they were talking. Perfect. About. Exactly. You know. How you grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had. What happened, Ma? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Everything was. I'll tell you later. It was interesting. I was watching an interview with you, and and the thing that really. And for some reason, the thing that stuck with me, I, I don't remember what the hell the question was, who it was, it was Cavett or somebody, about uh, about uh, bathroom humor. And then, you know, and you say you grew up with that because yeah, everyone's always like, did you make? Did you yeah, make? Right, exactly. But, you know, no one says, did you make except for Jews? Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I, but you know, I, I grew up with it was so unique to me that I never hear that outside of, like, my grandmother's house. Or outside of my mother's house. Did you make? <laughs> you know, I don't know what other people say. But that's it's true. <laughs> you know, they either said, did, did you make or did you go? You yeah, know, yeah. You know. But did you make was such a yeah, weird thing. Yeah, I remember yeah. it being weird when I was a kid, but it's what they said. That's what they said. And my grandfather. My like, mother would say to me every day, did you make? Yeah. You know. <laughs> or go schluffy. Yeah. That was another one. Right. Go to sleep. I, yeah, I, yeah. It's all very familiar to me. So I when, love. when, so you're up there at these, these rooms, it doesn't seem like you. You seem to embrace the, you know, what what had become sort of a stereotypical, you know, Jewish type. Like, you know, like my generation, you know, when we would talk like that, hey, here we go with this. You know, there's a, a slight annoyance to it. Yeah. Right. That, but you didn't seem to ever get annoyed with it. No, I never did. I, I always liked it. My, you know, everybody assumed my mother had a, a Yiddish accent or a Jewish accent because, uh, because of me, you yeah. know, or because, you know. But she didn't. She had an Irish accent. Because she went to, she was, she came over here when she was three or three and a half. She went to school when she was five. 
and all the teachers were Irish. And so she, she learned it. she learned her English from Irish, you know. Did so she talk with a brogue? You know, she'd say flush the turlet. You know, it was Irish. Dirty turd string. I mean, she had an Irish accent, you know. Any, anyway, uh, uh, Donna Pell finally got me. I went to a, one place uh, that there was a guy called Joe Dolphin, who was a very good writer-director. And uh, he used me. I was a waiter who was used as an alternative actor. Yeah. And sure enough, Uncle Harry, a play called Uncle Harry, there was a guy who was supposed to be the district attorney. I was about 16. And yeah. The guy playing the district attorney in Uncle Harry got sick, and he, he couldn't go on. So Joe Dolphin said, Mel. You're up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I said, I know. I, you know, I can do it. Yeah. I said, I know, I know, yeah. I know everybody's lines and yeah. everybody's play. Just in case, yeah, I know yeah. everybody's lines in every single play, review, sketch, whatever yeah. song. I just knew it all, just in case. Yeah, I was called, you know. Yeah. So, I, he, he said, Uncle Harry. I said, uh, uh, There, there, Harry. Have a seat, relax, and tell me in your own words, what do you think happened on that night? He said, My God, he knows the. Yeah. He knows the line. Yeah. And I was playing it older, you know, yeah. I was yeah. like 14. So they made me They made me up. They yeah. gave me a wig, a white wig. They gave me a little bit of a beard. Yeah. They put these crude lines to make wrinkles on, on my face. And they padded my jacket, humped it up, and, you know, I think it was almost a, almost a hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> and anyway, I, I limped and hump, humped out there with my beard and with my knee. And... Uh, I said, there, there, Harry. I'm sure everything is fine. Just please relax and tell me in your own words exactly what happened. And as I was doing I was pouring a glass of water. I was supposed to pour a glass of water yeah. from a glass pitcher into a glass and hand it to him. Uh -huh. yeah, exactly what happened. And as I got to exactly what happened, things were wet. <laughs> things were slippery. Things were not perfect. And the glass fell on this tray and shattered. You know, <laughs> water, glass, shards everywhere. Yeah. You could hear the, the orders go, ah! I mean, there was an audible, ah, ah! And he, he jumped back. He was getting all wet. And I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. There was just silence. Yeah. And so I walked down to the footlights and I took off my wig and my beard and I said, look, I'm 14. I've never done this before. And I got an incredible, I knew I was meant to be a comic. I mean, an incredible laugh. And Joe Dolphin picked up a, a half a scissor and chased me through, through, you know, he wanted to kill me. Yeah. Know? It's an interesting instinct, that instinct. You know, yeah, I knew, I knew I had to do something. Yeah. I, I was on stage doing Don't Drink the Water, that Woody Allen oh, play. Yeah, you know sure. that? Uh, absolutely. And I was playing the Mel Brooks Is part. It, the, <laughs> I was the old Jewish guy, yeah, the, father. the father. I was in college, yeah. and there's that scene where a bomb comes through the window, and you know, right. And, exactly, you know, right? And, yeah. and uh, the young guy's line is, you know, what is that? And I go, it's a bomb. <laughs> but this night, the bomb came through the window, slid right off the stage into the audience, just went right at the audience. <laughs> and you know, there's that moment, what the hell? <laughs> So the guy does his line. <laughs> yeah. He goes, what was that? And I go, I don't know. I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Then, but there's That's that, instinct. instinct. Right. That's but there's that moment, what the hell you do? You're going to lose the yeah, whole scene? Yeah, that the right. whole thing's yeah, so yeah. I eventually, I went to the lip of the stage. Yeah. And I go, give me, give me the bomb. Yeah. And then I pick it up. It's a bomb. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. What else are you going to do? You can't ditch up.
So how come you never became an actor? Well, I'm, I'm trying. I mean, yeah. I just uh, I just did ten episodes of an IFC thing that's sort of based on my life, a half hour TV thing, and uh, based on your life, do you wrote well, it? And you wrote well, yeah, it's all my stories. You know, as a, as a guy who uh, sort of hit the wall and ended up doing an interview show in his garage. Oh, I yeah. love it. Yeah, I love and it. Uh, you know, I did a little acting. I did. I was in a little movie uh, this last but year. But you're doing. You're doing now. You are doing what you want, right? Well, I'm finally got a little bit of an audience. You know, I was a very sort of specific, kind of heavy-hearted, uh, you know, uh, too much information type of comic. I had a marginal amount of respect, but I never was big, you know, mainstream. Yeah. So now I'm building a little bit of a fan base. Of course seems, you are. Feels you good. Know, feels good. You know, when the Shout Factory, who are the producers of my box set, yeah. they, to, they used to be Rhino Records. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, sure. And they sold Rhino Records yeah. to Warner Brothers. Yeah. And then they only bought back one item from the whole Rhino Records and that's what made me endear them to me, and that was the 2,000-year-old man. Oh, yeah. All those discs. Yeah. They bought those back. They, oh, want, yeah. they wanted to start their new company, yeah. the Shout Factory. Yeah. So I, I love them for that. So yeah, I, sweet. I, when they said, you want to do a Mel Brooks? I said, sure. Why? You know. So that was, it was their idea, and you were like, yeah, why not? Yeah, it was their idea. I said, you know, I, you know I, look, I said, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I want you to do is go to the internet, you know, go. You know, <laughs> put it together. Put it together. <laughs> You know, and I'll, you know, there's something's embarrassing. I'll say, take that out. Yeah, you yeah. know, but was there anything? No, there was only one, uh, and I said it's okay. Yeah. But there were in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. I cut. They wanted me to cut a lot of stuff, and I, I cut nothing. Yeah. Um, but there was one thing I cut myself. Talk about you know, and I never cut anything. Yeah. But in Blazing Saddles, there was a scene with Madeline Kahn and Cleavon Little. God yeah. bless him both of them and in the dark yeah and she said it's a very large she font. said is it foo is it is it foo is it foo what they say about yeah. how you black people are gifted yeah. you know yeah and then you heard slobbering yeah right oh oh my god it's true it's true it's true yeah. and then Cleavon says I hate to disillusion you, Miss Von Stupp, but you're sucking on my arm. You know? <laughs> well, that was the bit. Yeah, and I had to cut it. You took it out. But, and then, I took it out. And then, but now, I would have left it in now. but so All right, so they do the box set. Because, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. Because, uh, you know, there's this, I, when, when you don't hear from somebody for a while, mm -hmm. you wonder, like, you know, because this is a, an important archive, though. I mean, it's a smart thing to do, you know, yeah, to well, remind the culture. Like, uh, I'm Mel Brooks. Yes. Look how long I've been here. Yeah, yeah, I did all these things. I did a lot of stuff. I did. <laughs> it's true. I, I, it's true. I did a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and why not remind him of it? Like the Hitler rap, it's still funny. Yeah. What do you, now, let's get back to this the Hitler thing. Because you went to war. Yeah, I did. I did. So you were up and you were doing the work in the Catskills and you're doing, but at some point somebody talked you into it or what? How? Well, I, you know, I, there was a thing called the Army Specialized Training Reserve. Yeah. Keyword reserve program. And I was 17, and, and I took a test, and they sent me to Virginia Military Institute, VMI, and I studied electrical engineering. I figured if the Army would make, was going to make me an electrical engineer, I wouldn't be blown up. Right. You know, I, I would be where I would. And I you might would, not have I, gone at all, right? I might not, you know, I, I, would, I would have. No, no, you go. You, what you, was the pitch? Are you going to pay for college? What are they, what are yeah, they, yeah, they pay for your college. Right. They, you do a lot of wonderful stuff. But anyway, when I got to Fort Dix after VMI and after all of that, they saw engineers, so they put me in the combat engineers. You're ahead of the infantry. 
Jesus Christ. You're ahead of the infantry. You're clearing minefields. You're, you're, you're building so, Bailey bridges. So I mean, you saw action? I, not much. I mean, I was only, uh, only in the war, the actual in combat for only three months. I got over in at the end of February. and uh, 40 what? Four, three? 40, 45. 45. So it was almost over. It was almost over. There, and then it was, there was March, end of February. There was March. There was April. And May 8th, it was over. Did you see Nazis? The, 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 I did plenty. Plenty. There were plenty. They, they didn't wear their swastikas anymore. No. No, no. The new look. No, no, they, they were wearing tweeds at that point. They were very careful. But, I mean, there was a guy called Richard Goldman and myself. He turned out to be a wonderful lawyer and everything. And, but we hid in the basement in a town called Baumgarten when the war was over on May 8th because the GIs would just fire their weapons in joy in the air. And you could, that was the most dangerous day I had in the Falling war. Falling bullets. Yeah. Falling bullets, so we, we, we went into the basement of the school. and <laughs> That was your yeah. You didn't want to be caught in right. secondary friendly fire from the sky. From the sky, <laughs> right. It was raining, literally raining bullets. We said, let's go. We, we, we went down to the basement of the schoolhouse. But did, what, so where did this sort of, like, because the fascination with Hitler is, is you know, throughout the career here, right? I don't know. I, 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 it came from the fact that Every time I did some fake German with a, and put my comb under my nose, yeah. I'd get a laugh. Right. Because so so, after the war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of years after, probably. But, but, you know, it was still dangerous to do the producers in when I was doing, when I was filming it in 65 and 66. Because, it, I mean, that was a big thing, you know, Hitler and the Holocaust. I'll never forget opening night at the producers. It's true. It was a big guy who was drunk, a big Jew. Yeah, storming up the aisles during 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 the production of our springtime yeah. for Hitler, he was storming up there. Yeah. This is a disgrace. This is a horror. How can, this is yeah. the terrible Jews died. And as I caught him at the end of the aisle, you know, I wanted to just get rid of him, get him, get him out of that. You know, but it's opening night. It's misunderstanding. Yeah, the and, fun. Yeah, and he said, he said, I was in World War Two. I risked my life. And here, I said, I was in World War II. I didn't see you. Yeah. You know, where were you? you know, I just tried to, you know. He was in the basement of another you know. place. Anyway, I got him, I yeah. got him out. But, yeah. it was, but there was, he made a lot of noise, too, you know. So it wasn't really any sort of, like, you know, deeper fascination other than the, the, the sort of uh, dramatic nature of Hitler and the, the mustache and the thing. It wasn't, you, you didn't have an agenda. No, I didn't have an agenda. But I guess I, guess I wasn't in, in, in incredibly drawn to the phenomenon that one it was one pretty, man a, could control the destiny of so many others. Did you have family that you, in the Holocaust or anything no, like I didn't, that? No, we didn't. I, don't, I don't remember if we had. I yeah, don't yeah. think we did. I don't think we did. No. I didn't know about it, even though I was overseas well, near no, those think, camps. I didn't know. I really didn't know about it. I don't think anyone knew about it for a little yeah, while. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that came to... It, yeah. But, you know, it was... I'm glad I didn't know about it because I, I don't know... You know, I might have gone berserk, or I might have, you know. Yeah, I don't know how you could process. Yeah, it. yeah. I, how do you? How do? How does one process that? It's it's a, you can't even really process it now. It's you know, just, you know it's, it's an amazing, incredible phenomenon that that human beings could do that to other human see, beings. See, so you come back from the war. You weren't shell shocked. You weren't. You were just done. There was no. No. You weren't injured. Everything. Well, no. Happened. For for, I don't know. A year, I was kind of searching. But it didn't have any effect on you. 
Like in the sense of like you weren't shattered in any way or... You I don't think just, so. You were just 19 and what? You were just... 19. Yeah, resilient, rubbery. What, were you... Happy to be home. Where, did you feel a sense of patriotism when you were there or you were just there? I mean, did you... Because mm, everyone talks... You know, that's a good question. I mean, everybody talks about that war as like, you know, it meant something. It had definition. You know, there was a... Uh, uh, well, I think it did because I was Jewish. Yeah. And because of what had happened to Jews all over the world specifically how the Germans had treated the Jews and I was in the German area. But you knew that going in. You didn't yeah. know about the camps necessarily, the reality, but you knew that, that Hitler didn't like Jews. Right. I knew they didn't like Jews. Right. I knew there was a lot of anti-Semitic propaganda. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've, in, in a sense, there was a lot of patriotic fervor. Yeah. You know, you get kind of caught up in it. Yeah. Not as much as World War One and Irving Berlin mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Right. But pretty good. Yeah. I became a corporal. Mm-hmm. I felt a great sense of achievement, you know, two stripes. Wow, yeah. you know. Nice uniform. Yeah, nice uniform. Girls. Did the heroes return? Did you kiss anybody in Times Square? How did that go? No, uh, there was there was a, a one gay guy kissed me. It was okay. <laughs> they grabbed me and kissed me. I said, all right. It's okay with me, pal. <laughs> Good for yeah. you. Yeah. You're ahead of the curve here. Yeah. I still have my uniform. You have it now? Yeah. I have it at home. I have my ribbons. Just in case I have to go in, at least I have some rank. <laughs> you already least, suited uh, up. <laughs> at least, yeah. I, at least I, you want to, unless they, if they need you again? Well, if they need me, I'm at least I'm a corporal. Yeah. We're in trouble. Get they'll Mel Brooks get, in here. They'll give me back my rank, maybe. Yeah, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Well, anyway, you're you know, asking good questions. The war was a, on the surface, it was a, a patriotic and exciting phenomenon. Unconsciously, the idea of maybe dying is very complicated. You thought I, about I, it. What I did, you know, <clears throat> when you're a soldier, and there's any, any kind of shooting or any kind of, you know, Germans were very good uh, artillery. They had a thing called an 88. Yeah. We broadcast, and I'd, I'd be on the radio. Yeah. And I'd say, I'd give them coordinates. I'd start with, why tango, you know, uh, dodge, easy, over. You know? And then I'd say, can you see the white church? I'd end up, I really would. I'd yeah. say, can you see the steeple, the white church? A little to the left of it, there are Germans. Go sh- shoot them. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I yeah. would end up talking yeah. talking like that. Right. A minute, less than a minute after after we broadcast, we're, we were in a command car or a Jeep, mo- very highly mobile. When we left, there'd be the road would, could be straddled with eighty-eight fire, being bang, 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 you know, big eighty-eight shell. Yeah, you know, just I mean, rip a hole a, into the. We'd into be it. a half a mile away, but you look back. I mean, they they get radio coordinates and they'd hear you, uh, and then they'd take the shot, and you'd be out of there. Right? One of the great things was I was across a creek. We were building a Bailey Bridge to get on the other side. And I swear to God, I thought I heard ya, ya, ya. <laughs> German singing, you know. Couldn't see it. They didn't light yeah, a campfire because yeah, they yeah. don't get their position. But I heard them. And I picked up a big megaphone and I shouted across, Tootsie, goodbye. <laughs> don't cry, Tootsie, don't cry. And I said, yeah. That you should drain it, take me away. You, you never know I was out of me. 
Got it to the end, then I'll be better. Wait for the mail. I'll never fail. You don't get a letter. You know I'm in jail. La, la, la. <laughs> goodbye, Tootie. Goodbye. Don't cry, Tootsie. Don't cry. Yeah. I stopped. Yeah. And I swear to God, I heard, yeah, <laughs> 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 but but the but the thought of that the, that really dealing day, day to day with the idea that you could get blown up True. It must have drove you nuts it did you, it, or did. You, it did but I didn't we we were in a we talked to each other soldiers would talk to each other yeah there was a guy called Liberty from Jersey City he said you know Mel it's like a newsreel yeah. we're in a newsreel I yeah. said you're you're right I never figured it but you're right we think we're in a newsreel yeah we don't pay attention to body bags and stuff you know. <laughs> You just so you yeah. figured out a way to get through it without exactly you put like, your yeah you put your blinders on, but you saw all that shit nonetheless, mm -hmm. and you just enough uh, yeah. So enough. how are you gonna? And I guess did, did you see guys lose it once in a while? But it was a different war then, you know that you, once in a while. No, very very rarely. No, yeah, we had it together. Yeah, but I, I wasn't I wasn't in I wasn't in the Battle of the Bulge. I just missed that by a month. Uh huh. I was very lucky. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. And when you came home, your mother was happy? You, you, yeah. Were you, were you the only one to go? Your brothers didn't go? Uh, my brother Irving went to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. I know where that he is. He was working in radar. My aunt's down But here. my brother Lenny was a hero, prisoner of war for 18 months. Really? Shot down. He was a gunner. Russian or? Engineer gunner. No, prisoner of war in the uh, Germans had him in, you know, in Stalag Luft, you know. Oh, my God. He got lucky. Prison camp. If he made it out of there. He made it out. And then my brother Bernie fought uh, the Japanese in New Guinea. I don't think anybody ever won that war in New Guinea. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. it was. Was that the one where there was where there were Japanese soldiers fighting the war long after the war had right. gone? Right, long after. You know, <laughs> they were in the woods. And... My brother Bernie tried to explain to me that the, the, the his enemy was a thing called sawgrass that would cut his legs. Yeah, you know, no yeah. matter what he how he wrapped them. And dengue fever and all kinds of stuff. He says we very, very rarely fought the Japanese. They had their own dysentery and they uh -huh. had their own starvation. <laughs> everyone you know? was fighting nature. Yeah, everyone was fighting nature. But all of you came home. That's pretty amazing. We all came home. That's unbelievable. Yeah, your mother must have been thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> they're all yeah. There. She well, she had four blue star, blue, not gold. Yeah, she had four blue stars in the window, and people would come to visit her. You know, relatives and cheer her up my brother Lenny did a stupid thing he was in a German prison camp like I said and he made a record and he sent the record home I miss you since I went away dear my mother would play it every night and cry said don't put it on don't put it on you'll, sad. you'll cry again she said I can't hear it miss you you know oh. it was and you come home and what happens time for comedy or you didn't know what the hell you no were i didn't know i didn't know what i was gonna do. do i didn't want to go back to the garment center comedy was only in the summer in the mountains and what could i do okay donna pell comes to the rescue again yeah. who was working for him at the avon lodge playing lead tenor sax using him as a kind of utility comic yeah sid caesar right so Don is working with Sid Caesar, and he says, believe it or not, this kid that I worked with in the mountains made a movie for the Coast Guard, and it's called Tarzan Spar. So we went to see the movie, and there's Sid Caesar, Alfred Drake, Janet Blair, and Sid is the comedy relief. And I said, this, this guy is terrific. He says, believe it or not, he's just got a gig. He's going to be working. I was a drummer. I learned to play drums. How, how'd you learn how to play drums? 
I we moved to Brighton Beach for two years, and we lived on Brighton Sixth Street between Ocean View and Brighton Beach Avenue, and on Brighton Court, which was on Tenth Street. Yeah. Uh, my schoolmate lived, Mickey Rich. Me not knowing. Mickey said, come on home, I want to show you something. So Mickey takes me back. He played alto sax, I played drums in the band. Yeah. And Mickey said, look. And I said, I saw the, he said, I want to show you a great drum set. And I saw the greatest drum set I've saw in my life. There it was. A big A-S and a little B-R and a shield. And as a drummer, I knew. I said, my God, Mickey Rich, your brother, your brother's buddy Rich. Buddy Rich was the greatest drummer who ever lived. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, next to Gene Krupa, I mean, there was nobody, nobody bigger. So I sat down. No, no, I came back again. I said, I came back. It was a Saturday morning, about ten o'clock. I said, Do you mind if, if Buddy, you know, if I fooled around on the drums a little bit, you know, I'll be careful. Was Buddy there? Or he was. No, no, yeah. he was. So I started. I'm just playing cymbals. Yeah. I'm doing I'm doing little little drum yeah. stick. Yeah. And I hear from the door, not good, not too bad. And then he says to me, Can you do this? And he he claps his hand and it's Buddy Rich and I'm I turn white. Yeah. He says, Can you do this? You hear, you hear what I'm yeah, doing? Yeah. I'm putting my I'm putting my, my bass. bass. Yeah. Right. In between two 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 right. uh, snare hits, yeah. I said, "Yeah, I think so." And I did that. And then he said, "Here, sit over here. No, no, don't hold the stick so hard." I mean, he was very tough. Yeah. And he taught me a little bit. And I came uh, that summer. I came every Saturday for about an hour and a half. And he would he'd be put on some of his records. And he he, he was still living at home. Oh yeah. Huh. Oh yeah, and yeah. what was the who was the big band he was with then? Artie Shore. Oh, Artie Shore. And then he moved. While I was still there in Brighton Beach, he moved yeah. over to Tommy Dorsey. Artie Shore yeah. was a character, huh? Oh, Did I, you know him? I got to know Artie. Artie used to be come to my office all the time because he lived a long time, right? He lived out here. He lived into his early nineties. Yeah, I became sort of fascinated with him. Really? How come? How, why? Why and how did you become fascinated? Nobody knows Artie Shore, Mark. Nobody knows who Artie Shore Traffic is. Traffic Jam. Yeah, yeah, the way the way I got into him is I, I my friend of mine I read a I read a, uh, the autobiography of Art Pepper. How do you know traffic, Jim? I, I have such new found respect for you. I went on this thing where where I read a couple of books about bebop and about big band, and I read Art Pepper's autobiography, which oh, is yeah. a crazy book. It's like it's like fifty pages of sack uh, of sacks and four hundred and fifty pages of drug addiction in prison, but <laughs> but ostensibly about music. Yeah. But you know, he, a lot of people started talk. I heard people talking about Artie Shaw as this like sort of possessed, kind of angryish yeah. uh, Jewish guy. Oh that, yeah, yeah. He, yeah that, he was a little crazy. He yeah, was a little yeah. Nice, and yeah. so I bought I bought like when I get into something I buy all the records and I, and I was I became sort of good for you. I, I became fascinated with the idea that 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 was uh, you, you go out for an evening, 
And you know, it wasn't like four guys in you know, a drum and guitar and bass. It, you saw you know twenty guys up there. Oh no, it was a big, it was a big, it's a big, big band. deal. And we I called could, them big bands, right? And I couldn't even imagine what that sounded like. So I tried to place myself like what it would be like as you as a kid, or you know, in your teens, you go out and swing or whatever you do to that. Oh, I mean, yeah. it must have, the sound must have been unbelievable. So I, I sort of got it. We well, couldn't help dance. I mean, we everybody lindied, you know. Yeah. But it just seemed like uh, that was popular music then. That's what, how it was done. If you went it out, it was called swing. Yeah, and it was big, big bands, and it was it was incredible. Yeah, so that's how I got to know so Artie Shaw. But but Buddy Rich is he living at home when he's playing with Artie Shaw? How's that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Artie Artie Shaw would play the listen to me Lincoln Hotel, the Blue Room at the Lincoln Hotel. Yeah, for six months at a time. Right. All right. So why not? not on the, yeah. So why not? Why not live at home? Right. Is he? A, was Buddy Rich a Jewish guy? Oh yeah, absolutely. Buddy was crazy. Buddy would wear a Jewish star and walk into the Italian neighborhoods on the beach. Yeah. You know those like Bay Sixteenth yeah. of it. Yeah, we lived in Brighton Beach. Right. So I'd go with Buddy on the beach. I'd say, and he had a big Jewish star. Yeah. Looking for trouble. Yeah, he was. He's notoriously uh, angry. Looking for trouble. Did he get it? He got once in a while. He got it. He never lost. He beat the shit out of anybody. <laughs> that, that I tell you, he beat any anybody. Big guy, big Italian. He was guy. just that kind of guy. He he was a great fighter. Yeah, you. I wasn't such a. I mean, I you know, <laughs> I was very fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was fast in a fight, and I was fast running away. I yeah. mean, I was, but I was fast. Yeah. You know, either way. Yeah. But Buddy taught me some. You know, I mean, some drumming. Some drumming. He taught me. And to be gallant. Did you remain friends? For a while. Because there's famous tapes of him yelling at his band. You know that. Oh, yeah. There is one really famous one on the bus. (laughs) Yeah. On the bus. You know, uh, there's a place in in, uh, New York called Patsy's on 8th Avenue. Yeah. And uh, I went there. There was a dinner party upstairs. For the opening of Blazing Saddles, it was a big hit. Saddles was a big hit, and uh, down below, Buddy always ate there. So that down, I was I was on my way up, and I heard Mel, and there was Buddy, and he hugged me, and there were kind of tears in his eyes. I said, "Oh, Buddy, that's so you know." He, <laughs> he was like yeah. celebrating my yeah. success. Sure, you know? sure. That's what I thought. Yeah, and he said. You could have been a good drummer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't even say great. I swear, he didn't even say great yeah, or, you yeah, know, or anything yeah. like him. Uh-huh. You could be good. I mean, he, he he wanted everybody to be a good drummer, you yeah, know? But not great. Not great, no. No, he was the great drummer. So you took the drums, and that's when he started doing shtick? Yeah, and the, mountain, and the mountains once... Uh, once at the Butler Lodge, I yeah. was, I was uh, Mel Brooks and his five wife beaters. Uh-huh. I swear to God, that was the name of our uh-huh. five wife beaters. And uh, the comic got sick, and I and and uh, well, yeah, he said uh, Mel B M E L B M N N N Pincus Cohen. I said, I said, Mister Cohen, that's, you have a redundant name. You could be the Pincus of Cohen, but it's too much. Yeah, Pincus Cohen. Anyway, so Pincus Cohen said. Said Melvin, you know uh, Murray. Uh, every comic was named Murray. He said Murray's sick. I said he's not working. So I took over, and I. So I would you do his act? I did his act. I did every every. You know, I was. I did every joke, every bad, lousy joke he did, and then, let's get back to Donna Pell. And he said to me, Sid Caesar. Sure. We saw we saw Sid Caesar yeah. at the Roxy. Yeah. He said he's working. He says he's there's a picture coming in called. Forever Amber. Yeah. 
Remember Forever Amber? It was a big picture. Mm-mm. Linda Darnell. I've seen pictures of her. Pretty. So he was a comic. Yeah. He thought the picture would be there six weeks. It was there six months. So, I mean, even, so he sharpened his act. Yeah. And then he went to the Copacabana. I went backstage. Jesus, what was that like, the Copa on a good night? Oh, it was great. Like, because you read about, you know, the I always, all you read, in, in, you read about the mob. You're sitting next to gangsters. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, I mean the f- whole front row. I mean, you got oh yeah, two two tables of opposing gangsters. You never know if they shoot each other, and you, <laughs> you're in the middle, you know. <laughs> but it, it was great, you yeah. know, and you know, and beautiful girls and the drinks and and so I was backstage at the Copa. Yeah, and Sid said, you know, we get along. We 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 hang out. What funny, he said, uh, they, this guy, Max Liebman, is coming to me. There's some, there's a show called the Admiral Broadway Review. Yeah. It's going to be on, on a thing called television. I said, wrestling. Yeah. He said, no, it's actually. <laughs> is that all that was on television initially? No, there was Milton Berle. Yeah. Milton, Berle, Milton Berle, Berle and wrestling? And wrestling. <laughs> that was all that was on. And Sid said, I'll give you 40 bucks a week. Yeah. I said, great. Yeah. He says, just. Write whatever comes into your head. Write, write jokes. Give me the mo- give me the monologues. I have to do them, you know. And I did. And we hung out together. It was a pleasure, you know. But was that a decision for you? Did you realize at some point, like, this stand-up shit's not for me? Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be stuck in this you lounge know, act life. No, I put it on the side. I knew I was going to come back to it. Yeah. But I said, I said, Melvin, yes. I always yeah. talk to myself. I said, this guy's better. This right. guy's really good. This guy may be a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and so uh, it was a pleasure to write for him. Uh-huh. Usually, you, you hope, in my in my career as a comedy writer, and I've written for a lot of comics, you hope any and all of them can uh, meet meet the comedy. Don't don't kill it. Don't yeah, hurt yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Sid Caesar was amazing. He raised the comedy by his emotions, by his acting, by his physical, you know, a lot of physicality he put into it. He can inhabit. Yeah, he, he, there was nobody like him. Yeah, I, I, I hear you speak in reverence about him in, in a way that, like, I, I wish, you know, it's one of those things where I've seen a couple of guys in my life uh, do amazing yeah. things, but the way you talk about him, it doesn't seem like anyone's ever. He's still alive. He's up on Loma Vista. And How much older than you, than you is he? Um, let's see, I'm... I'm 86. He's 91. That's not much. Not much. You go over there? I go Friday nights if I can. The Friday afternoon if I can make it, I go up and hold his hand, talk. He's he's kind of in in his own world until I I will say things like, "Remember when you were in Make My Manhattan and you were doing a number on stage all by yeah. yourself called I've got $5 and it's burning a hole in my pocket." And that would Raise trigger him. him, yeah. Trigger him, yeah. I'd say, can you sing a little? And he would sing some of it for yeah, me, yeah, yeah. in a raspy, crazy, silly yeah. voice. But, but at least he'd be alive, yeah. And I'd I'd always come up to wake him up and yeah, <clears throat> and remind him how truly talented he was. And does he have a lot of people going up there or no? Yeah, Rudy DeLuca and me usually, uh, and then sometimes Carl Reiner. Yeah, I get I get Carl to come up. Rudy, you spend a lot of time with him still, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, Almost, almost every other night. Yeah, three nights a week. I'll be, yeah. I'll be, I'll be at Carl's house. Yeah, Carl loves more than anything what he calls realies. 
that we do. And Carl is so proud that we do them only for ourselves. We don't do them for an audience. We don't uh-huh. do them for another person. You just try to one-up each other? Yeah. We, well, we, we try to really amaze each other with where we're going with yeah. our minds. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, we're, we're still pretty good at it. Is it how, how are you handling the aging thing? pretty well you think about you it you know i i do you know you say well shuffle off this mortal coil you know you know the table is needed for somebody else uh-huh. or, you know yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> we need that table yeah. but uh as long as i feel okay you know yeah, yeah. as long as i have energy yeah and as long as i still love singing and comedy and and uh you know entertainment and, and, food. Pe- and people and food and some food as long as they still have an appetite yeah. it's great i mean yeah. i'm not complaining you know yeah and you stay busy i yeah. i do stay but look i'm pushing my box set with mark maron yeah. right now yeah it's great i have it's a box good. set it's it's you'll see things on it like the hitler rap yeah the hitler like, rap and the short film the critic and a bunch of stuff with you and cavett and then uh you and cavett through the years actually yeah it was great Cavett was always good with me. I was always good with Cavett. It's very interesting to watch those shows at the, now when you know they, they feed the audience. They, the audience is like a riot at amusement park now. So they, yeah. everything is so hot. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> with Cavett, I mean, you guys would sit there. It, was, with, it didn't necessarily hinge on a laugh every three no, seconds. No, no, it didn't. We would we, you know? we'd get stuck kind of reminiscing and out of it would come some, something. He was an interesting glorious, guy. He's yeah. an interesting straight man. He's, he's, a very bright, dry. he's such a bright guy and he has... He loves show business so much, and he tells such great stories, you know, about Jack Benny and yeah. Bob he, Hope, and he, he like he knew all these guys and interviewed them, and you know. Now the guys you work with, are, you know, I know it's pretty mm-hmm. well documented the the process of uh, you know you're making the twelve chairs and then the producers and the Sid C, you know, working with Sid Caesar and the Simon Brothers and Galbart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I took a writing class with with Danny Simon. Really? And when I was in like, uh, I, I was living in Boston. It must have been in the eighties. There was kidding. A, no, there were posters around. You know, Danny Simon, uh, Neil Simon's brother, writer from our show of shows. And I remember going because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do, and I had nothing to do, and I paid for the class. It was one of these intensive two day weekend things. You did it? Yeah, I went, uh, but I didn't. What I didn't, happened? It was weird. You know, he, you know, he's like, he seemed to have a chip on his shoulder. A oh yeah, bit. he always did. And you know, you know, I'm Neil Simon's brother. You know, <laughs> that that was clearly a chip on his shoulder. And he had put together some system. You know, there's always a system. And he was making sketches, and there were arrows about story and umbrellas and this and that. And I couldn't fucking follow it. And uh, mm-hmm. eventually, I just, you know, I, I the only thing I remember is that he had bought some sort of Irish soda bread, and he didn't like it. And he said, "You want this? I'm not going to eat it." And I took the bread, and I didn't go back the second day. <laughs> That's a great story. Was the, oh, tell me, was the Irish soda bread See, it good? It was great. It was great. I don't know yeah. what the hell his problem was. But he always had a chip on his shoulder. He always had that? a chip on his shoulder. Why? Because he, he, he said, I, you know, I, I, I taught Neil everything, you know, right, Doc, that, right. Doc was his name. I taught Doc everything he knew. Yeah. He, so didn't, he didn't. Of course not. I mean, that, I mean, clearly that was a narrative he took we, right we, to the class. That I went Carl, to. Carl and I just had dinner with Doc, who happens to be out here. He lives in New York. But Neil, he, yeah. But he happened to be out here for uh, a week, so we, we just had dinner with him and we we reminisce. It's yeah. wonderful. We talk about Sid and how crazy Sid was, and Sid was really strong. He, if he didn't like a joke, you know those gray desks made of metal. Yeah. With a typewriter. Yeah. 
and maybe Mike Stewart attached to it in a chair. He could lift it to make a point. He'd lift it and bang the floor with the desk. He'd say, no good, we can do better. And uh, Mel Tolkien would immediately say, well, we're not married to the joke. Diplomatic. We'll come up with, we'll, you know. There's so many of you guys in there. And Woody Allen didn't even do anything, right? He was just a He guy. was on two specials. And, and uh, yeah. But he was a little, he's younger than you by 10 years or so. By 10 years. Now, what's interesting that I noticed when I was watching the stuff is that, in a way, you guys, you know, in your era, were, were sort of competing with each other, you know, you know film-wise. Yeah. That, you know, the early Woody Allen films were, were just as you know, ridiculous yeah. and, and uh, you know, over the top as yours were. Was, it, was there, did you feel a competition? No, I didn't really feel any competition. I enjoy I enjoyed his movies, yeah. and I thought we were on completely different tracks. Basically, I thought, well, philosophically, um, Woody is dealing with with um, the psychology, you know, the, what makes people tick. Yeah, in inside. Yeah. And I'm dealing with world masses. I'm dealing with, you know, with glacial glacial m movements of mankind. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and you know, and I, I'm just we're, we're different. I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm a little more, uh, uh, I don't know, m more more people. A lot of people in groups. I am. I'm more in people in groups. Broader. And and he is. He's very. He's very microscopic. Uh -huh. You know. Uh huh. He gets down to, to, um, kind of the, the cliches and secrets of human behavior. Uh -huh. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's wonderful. Yeah. You know? Do you are you friendly with him? <clears throat> uh, no, nobody is. <laughs> Listen, he's working now with. Uh, he's he's doing. God bless him. He's doing uh, uh, bullets over Broadway as a musical. Oh, is he? So yeah, you you yeah. set a precedent. This is what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, he, if, if Brooks can get this over. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I may. I think I may have at least awakened him to that. Yeah. And but he's not writing any songs. He's uh, he's using. Wisely so, I think. Songs of the era. S songs of the period. Yeah. Oh, that's a smart thing. So let's talk about these guys that you work with because you seem to have a very uh, acute uh, sense of uh, comedic people that they're very specific to you, like uh, like Gene Wilder, obviously. Oh yeah, like I'm doing a joke on stage now where I, I actually do a bit of an impression of him. You're kidding? No, no, no. What do you I, do with uh, how, how do you do Gene? He's impossible. No, he's impossible. It's it's more of a tone thing. I talk about you know being on an airplane. I almost did it. Uh, didn't, I didn't do it on that Conan you watched. I I, I didn't get to it. Uh, you didn't get to it about the helicopter, about going up in a helicopter with my second wife, and uh, yeah, the, the 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 in Kauai in Kauai, and the, yeah. the the I don't know if you know what it's like to see the most beautiful stuff you've ever seen in your life and be more terrified than you've ever been in your life at the same time. <laughs> you know, my my foot was my leg was hanging out of the door of the helicopter, and the pilot says it's very nice, isn't it? And I and uh, and I say yes, it's very nice. <laughs> Please land the machine. <laughs> and I say, I guess what I'm terrified I turned into Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was Perfect. a pacing to it. There was this no. build. You know, it's a very interesting thing. It is a build. It yeah. is a build. And he's like a volcano. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, who Sam Kennison was. Oh yeah. Well, like I knew that guy when I was starting doing stand up, and I, you know, I, oh, I, I spent loved Sam Kennison. Well, uh, one night, you know, because we used to do, we used to sit around and do drugs, you know, and and. Uh, 
You know, I, don't, I haven't done that stuff in, in you know over you know 13 years now. But but you know we I was a kid, 21, 22, and he'd sit there and hold court. You know, which oh, I yeah. imagine you've yeah. experienced before. Absolutely. There was those guys. You know, and we'd all be sitting around listening to him. You know, and one night, you know, we'd been up all night, and you know, there wasn't anybody else around. I said, "What? How'd you do it? How'd you figure it out? How'd you crack it? You know, become this great stand-up?" Yeah. And he looks at me and goes, "Gene Wilder." And what he had done, if you watch Kennison's build, oh, 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 that he had yes. that very deliberate. Yeah, absolutely. I never build. thought. I never put that together till now. But I was amazed that he put it together. That this was an intentional, conscious yeah. decision. That he it's, was like, "That's it." It's like something hits Gene and it grows and it grows and it grows and it explodes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Kennison was doing the same thing. Right, and he was aware of it. I love that that, I, that was it. Because yeah. you, you, with Kennison, you're like, oh, it must be some dark, where, you know, coming from the guts, you know, what is that? And then Gene so Wilder. who knew that Kennison had an awareness of the technical yeah. aspects of how to produce? Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. This is a revelation. I'm glad you came today. <laughs> you know, yeah. Good, good. He died on the road. Yes. You know, the, yeah. the, the steering wheel hit yeah. him. And, yeah, yeah, And yeah. he thought he'd made, made, but he didn't. He didn't make it. He was lying uh -uh. there. Uh-uh, uh-uh. But he was a preacher. I think he, like, in his mind, he, you know, he knew that if he had a second, he could get in under the wire, you know, and say, uh, you know, Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me into the big room. So maybe he made it. I think he made it. Yeah, if you believe that kind of thing. But I'm glad, you know, you, you know, this is, I'm glad I saw you because you know, you know, people that I love and a lot of, a lot of different aspects of this business. I didn't know you were so well acquainted. I mean, I th you're a kid. You're really, for me, you're just a little kid. Oh, that's very nice to hear. So, you know. Well, what, what is it about? What, you're what a you, smart child. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Brooks. What is it about Wilder? About like, there because these guys, if you think about them, Corman, Wilder, Feldman, Madeline Kahn, Kenneth Mars. Yeah. These are very extraordinary, very specific comedy performers. And they're and, your you know, guys. I wasn't, I wasn't such a genius. I mean, they... They came to me, and I recognized their talent. I mean, I I didn't I wasn't I didn't seek them out and find you know. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, Wilder was in a play on Broadway mm -hmm. called uh, Mother Courage. That's an important play. Who is that play? Uh, that's Brecht. Right. Bertolt Brecht. Yeah. Uh, there's something of Mother Courage. Yeah. And and uh, he played a chaplain, and my wife was in it. Anne was a star. She was, were you married at that time? I don't know if we were going together. I think we were going together. You got yourself a very beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. She was the best. The best. I mean, you know, I've had, I have no complaints. Being so. funny helps you out in that area, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I won her over with comedy. I mean, uh, tall, good-looking guys couldn't do it. Uh-huh. That was a, that must have been a great day. So so he was in the play, and uh, we got you know we all got to be friends. I mean yeah. you know he kept saying, why are they laughing at me? I said well, he, you know he said sometimes I don't want to be funny. I said that's not up to you. I mean you know God decided that you would be funny, yeah, yeah. and and you're funny. Yeah. And then he came out to Fire Island. We had a house on Fire Island. Yeah. And uh, I was writing the outline of the producers and uh -huh. I said I said you're Leo Bloom you look you smell like Leo Bloom you <laughs> yeah. look like Leo Bloom everything you do yeah is is, is you're fearful and tentative and, or or you're a, a volcano exploding yeah I mean, you're Leo Bloom yeah and I said when I promise when 
if I ever get it made into a movie, you're going to be Leo Bloom. He said, but I have no name. I, you know, I said, if we ever get it, you're going to. So a year, went, you know, <laughs> close to a year went by. And through fits and starts, I, Sidney Glazer believed in me, this guy. He had produced the Eleanor Roosevelt story. Uh-huh. And for some Hilarious. Reason, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, he got a hold of this script, uh-huh. and, then he, and, and he loved it, and he wanted to make... It was called Springtime for Hitler, and he wanted to make Springtime for Hitler. And anyway, uh, we went to everybody. Every, every studio said, don't be ridiculous. We went to Joe Levine, and he said, I love it. Joseph E. Levine of Afghan Embassy. I love it. I'll put in half the money. Half the money was 500000 And Sidney said, I'll raise the money from Louis Wolfson down in Florida, Universal Marion Corporation. You know, yeah. I'll, get, I'll, put in, I'll get $500,000. And and they decided to do it. And then Joe, Joe Levine said, um, "Who's going to direct it?" You know, I said, "I will." And and then he said, "You're not a director." I said, "But I am. I used to direct the floor comedy on the Sid Caesar show, like the a physical. segment producer." Yeah, the segment, the 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 the, the physical comedy. Uh-huh. So I said, "Look, you save a lot of money. I'll do it for scale because I've never directed and I want the credit." And also, I have the pictures in my head. Joe, Joe, I have the pictures in my head. A guy comes in, script. he doesn't have the pictures. Mm-hmm. He got his own pictures. They, you. they may, they, they couldn't, maybe they're not the right pictures. Yeah, you they're know, your pictures. They're my pictures. Yeah. I know I know. just who should go where and yeah. what, who should fall over the couch, who should come in, who slams the door, mm-hmm. where, when, when there's a close-up of a fact. I know, I know, I got the pictures. It's storyboarded in my head. So you are a salesman. I, and he said, okay, you can be, he said, well, you're serious, you know, the one, one thing I'll never forget, he said, were you serious about scale? <laughs> After your pitch? Never forget that. <laughs> so, it was, you know, so I did it for scale. Yeah. You know, so That's anyway. The, that was the beat after you yeah, sold yeah, him? Yeah, 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 after I sold him. <laughs> were you serious about scale? <laughs> scale? So anyway, yeah. we did we did the movie. Yeah. And, and uh, but before, before we did the movie, I, Gene, had replaced Alan Arkin in a play by Murray Shiskow on Broadway called L.U.V. He's another guy. Arkin's another guy. Very similar. Huh? Oh, yeah. Very close it. to Gene in terms of the volcano exploding. But darker as a, as a like yeah. a, he's got a little more range in the, in the, in the dark. In the dark there. side. Yeah. Uh, Gene's a fabulous actor. Yeah. Oh, Gene, I know. Yeah, Gene yeah. could go anywhere. Yeah. So he was getting ready to do his matinee performance. It was, it was about 1.30. He was putting on his makeup. I came into his dressing room. I threw the script on his table, and I said, "You're Leo Bloom." We start shooting, and I gave him a day. He burst into tears. No, uh, really, just yeah. burst into tears. He couldn't look at me. He couldn't. And uh, and then he he did this job. The next movie I did, I wanted him to be uh, Vorbjaninov. Uh, 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 an aristocrat who who was uh, Ron Moody finally played it in Twelve uh, Chairs. In Twelve Chairs, and he didn't want to do it. Uh-huh. He didn't want to do it. He said, "I don't want to. I don't want to play that part." He said, "It's uh, it's uh, I want to be the other guy." I didn't want to tell him the other guy has to be devilishly good looking. Uh-huh. Yeah. How's yeah. that bender? You yeah. know. He's, yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, it says in the in, in the in the Ilf and Petrov thing, it's devilishly good looking. Yeah, yeah. And so I saw Frank Langella, who's a 
terrific actor and devilishly good looking. He's still he's so, so a great actor. So I said, him. you know. So anyway, but we kept in touch. Then I, I'm ready to do Blazing Saddles. Sure. And you know, and, and I'm 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 there's too much hubris and too much arrogance in me, really. I admit it. There was not now. Now I'm now I'm humble. No and, rage. No, now I've lost height. Yeah, you know, you get shrinking. older. I'm yeah. shrinking, so yeah. I'm not such a big shot anymore. Yeah. You're gonna be reaching for but, your mother's hand yeah, again, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I'm afraid. Yeah. So anyway, we—it's uh, a very complicated story. I called Dan Daly. You wouldn't know him. He was a no. song and dance man yeah. at uh, 20th Century Fox, usually in a Betty Grable movie. Yeah, and he was terrific. He's terrific. Yeah. And uh, but I heard he was the best horse rider in all—all all of he was. A Great horseman, and he had a leather face, and he was a good actor. He could be the Waco kid. First, I asked John Wayne. He read it, yeah. I, and John Wayne said, "I was, I was at Warner's. I was having lunch, and I gave him this guy. I said, this is ridiculous.' He saw the producers. He loved the producers. He said, "Sure, I'll glad to read it." He read it, and he gave it to me back, and he said, "My fans, I couldn't do this. My fans wouldn't allow it." But I swear to God, Mel, I'll be the first one online to see it. It's hysterical. <laughs> you know, he was so, just a sweet guy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Dan Daly, I called him. He said, I'm wearing Coke bottles. I said, what? He said, I'm wearing the bottom of Coke bottles. I can't see. My eyes are so, you know. So he's done. You know, he was I'm, done. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. So I said, okay. Well, then I had a brilliant idea. I'd see, just seen a movie called They Shoot Horses, Don't yeah. They? was a guy who was supposed to be a comic, and he was brilliant, and he won the Academy Award. Gig Young. Yeah. Who went later, later went crazy, shot himself, shot his young wife. And, Did he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw him in uh, the Peckinpah movie. Wait, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yes, yeah. Mm. So he was a great actor, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. So I asked him to do it, and he said, fine. And his yeah. agent brought him, and I said, actually, we got, he got on the set. Yeah. You know, he yeah. rehearsed yeah. Yeah. for a week or two. We got on the set. He's upside down in the jail. I say action. He says, uh, "Black Sheriff comes over, Cleavon comes yeah. over, and says, are we awake?" And he says, "Are we black?" You know, <laughs> it's eighteen seventy four. You yeah, know, yeah. says the black sheriff, "Are we black? Are we black?" And then yeah. he starts spitting a little green stuff, and I said to my assistant director, this fucking guy is incredible. Look, <laughs> he's playing a recovered alcoholic. Look, yeah. look. Yeah. And he, ah, and then and then it became the exorcist. He never stopped. Uh. He's spewing green stuff all over Cleveland, all over the jail. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just a lot of green stuff. It's yeah. like a spewing. What the hell was you it? You know, he was having the DTs or something. So he was a real alcoholic. It was a real, he was just, it was. he had cleaned up for one day to come in and do, you know, uh. do the part. And they took him away in an ambulance, and I was crushed. Then I go right to the phone. <laughs> you know, <he's, laughs> as soon as the ambulance took him away, I yeah. went to my office. I said, oh, my God. And I called Gene. Yeah. I told him what happened. He yeah. was hysterical. Yeah. He said, you're kidding. I said, no, I thought it was I thought it was, I was getting such I thought I was getting Academy Award acting, and I was just <laughs> getting green vomit, you know. And, and Gene said, all right, all right, relax. <laughs> I was kind of half crying, half yeah, laughing, yeah. laughing and crying at the yeah. same time. I swear to you. Yeah. And Gene Wilder says, 
I'll see you at noon tomorrow. He was in New York. Uh-huh. And he flew out. And he, he killed it. He, made he, it. he was the only one to do it. Right. That's interesting. What a bounce. And the same thing happened with Cleavon. Uh-huh. So I took two great bounces. I lost Richard Pryor, but I got Cleavon Little, who is a fantastic talent. Yeah. And I, and 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 I got Gene Wilder, my 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 buddy and my 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 soulmate and, yeah. and my you know the true, true genius of my of my career. You yeah. Know? And you lucked out. I lucked out. How are and you? The in, picture was great. Are you still friends with Gene? What's up? Are with you him? kidding? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah. What's up with him? Is he all right? He's great. He's in Connecticut. Yeah. He's he'll be out here, in a couple of weeks because he, he has a, a house. Somewhere in San Diego, that uh-huh. he, rent, he rents for, same for two months, every year in in the winter, and sometime in the middle of January to the, to uh, April first. And then you did Young Frankenstein, and you, I mean, there's a, you, it's hard to go through right. all the movies. And then when when we were doing it, I'll tell you the story. You're the only one who knows this. You yeah. want to hear the story? If that's the he's setup. writing, <laughs> he's got a yellow, he's got a legal pad. Yeah, and uh, you know. And he's eating by himself in the commissary. I couldn't get there. Who, Gene? Gene. Yeah. So I said, Where? The studio? And then he had commissary in the studio, yeah. you know, in, in Warner Brothers. So I said, uh, are you you're busy? Can I sit down? He said, sure, sure. I said, sit. So I brought my tray, and you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm eating. I don't, he's writing. He's making notes. I said, okay. I am prying. What the hell? What are you writing? What are you doing? Yeah. And uh, he, he said, I have an idea for a movie, and I'm laying it out. Yeah. I said, what, what, what is it called? He said, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. I said, I like that title. Yeah. He said, would you join me? I said, well, tell me the idea. He said, well, it's very simple. It's a guy that calls himself Frankenstein because he's ashamed of his grandfather. He's ashamed of the Frankensteins. He thinks they're all nuts. He's yeah. a scientist. You don't want to go along with, you know, with these, with these, he says, that, you know, dead is dead. You know, yeah. you can't reanimate that tissue, you know. He's a great, you know, and I want to play him. I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so he said, all right, I'll, can you get me to stay out here? I said, yeah, I will. I can. I'll pay for it. And he said, okay, I want a bungalow. <laughs> Son of a bitch. He said, I want a bungalow. Right. He wants a bungalow at the Bel Air, a gray. What? Give me a T, an English T. Earl Grey. Earl. He wants Earl Grey. Yeah. He wants a stash of Earl Grey. Yeah. And he wants a big bunch of digestive biscuits. Yeah. Every night. This is the deal. This, this is, is the his, deal. And his writer. And his own. Yeah. His own bungalow. Yeah. At the Bel Air Hotel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll arrange it. And every night. For about three and a half weeks, yeah. every night, we met and we wrote Young Frankenstein. At the bungalow. At, at the bungalow. We met. He had his, I had my dinner at home. Yeah. He had his dinner at the Bel Air. Yeah. And then in the dining room. And who knows what people, with friends. And then he would go to his bungalow and they'd. He'd have the 
Earl Grey, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and digestive biscuits, yeah, whatever they. I don't even know what ginger, they're kind of a ginger, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're a wheat kind of ginger. They're I very, know what they are. Yeah, they're like a circle, and they're yeah, kind of exactly grainy. Grainy, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. And we'd munch on those, him more than me, and we would come up with characters, and he had an agent called Mike Metavoy who later became an important movie kind of executive and ran uh, TriStar. He ran mm -hmm. studios. Mm -hmm. But anyway, at that point, Mike, this is amazing. So Metavoy handled as an agent Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, and Gene Wilder. The only one he didn't handle, I think, was was, was like Terry, Terry Garr and Madeline Kahn. I mean, he handled... All the important players. Hackman? No. Hackman was a, a tennis friend of Gene Wilder's. That scene is like he... I know. And and, and uh, oh, he yeah. said, is there anything for me? Incredibly large, you know? man. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, anyway, he just volunteered he to do it. He just wanted to do it, yeah. He volunteered to do it. Yeah. He wanted to do it. So, yeah. you know, he was, he was great. You know, one take. I mean, that was... He yeah. was incredible. Yeah. Uh, so that's the writing process. That's the writing process. Now, so Gene and I, I said, we're, we're kind of bonded. So we go with Mike Gruskoff, who's the producer, to Columbia. We, make the, we made a deal at Columbia, and we made it for 1750, not yet, not 2 million. And we went over. I said, let's go over it carefully. I mean, I'm very good with budgets, very good with making a movie for a given. And, and and so is Gene. He yeah. can do things in one take. So we said, now oh, we're going to need two, maybe two, 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 maybe even two, four to really make this right. Because he said, why? I said, the gadget, the sets, the gadgetry, the sweating stone, the, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be big. Yeah. You know, so the comedy works against hard stuff. So we 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 tell we tell Columbia this. The truth is, we we're, we're going to need. So there's big fighting, and then finally we have a big meeting with the Schneiders, with all the people that running running Columbia at that time, and they said, "Okay, okay, we'll 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 consider uh, two million tops. We'll consider. We you know we can't let you know now." And then we got to the door, and I turned back to the these are the big shots running Columbia, yeah. and I said, "Oh, by the way, we're going to make it in black and white." Yeah, and I then I left. <laughs> yeah. They all screamed, chased me down the hall, and got me back in. Uh -huh. They said it's impossible. Peru just got color. Yeah. What are you talking? You know, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you crazy? Yeah. What are you nuts? You know, we're... no one had really done that, right? At that point. No, no, really... no, no. Nobody made anything in black and white. When did Bogdanovich do that thing? I don't know. Maybe some. You know, but it, it was still. It yeah. was still. It was experimental. It was not. Something... It was bizarre. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They didn't want to do it. Right. And. Uh, so, you know, we were in there for another hour, and they said, you know, and they said, Columbia said, you know, you know, this might be a deal breaker. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll so meet, us, meet us again tomorrow at noon, you know, we'll get sandwiches, we'll talk. So, that night, Michael Gruskoff called Alan Ladd Jr., who has just taken over 20th Century Fox mm -hmm. as the studio chief. Right. Did you know his father? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, 
as an actor. Just to salute him right. and say hello. Shane! Yeah. Shane! Yeah, so, so anyway. Was he dead riding away or was he not? No. All right. Not at all. Some people speculate about that. No, he was, he was fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, I got that for Blaze and the Blazing Saddles. Yeah. I got, you know, I have other, other bad guys to conquer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he, Laddie reads it. Something like two or three in the morning, he calls Groskopf and he says, we got to make this. Groskopf says it might be two, 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 four. He's fine. It's going to be black and white. It's, Laddie says it should be bl black and white. It should be in black and white. Yeah. If you're going to do it. Did they not get it? What yeah. you were trying to do? No. They didn't. It's like the, the movie is a satire of that. So uh, we waited patiently. Columbia, yeah. Columbia finally said it's a deal, but they, could, they couldn't do it in, in black and white. They would have to pass on the movie. And the next day we set up a 20th Century Fox. I started auditioning set designers or, you know, uh, costume designers, oh, wranglers, horse, you know. Of course, Weichman. You too, know, whatever, yeah. not wranglers, but, uh, you know, we, we need, we went, we actually went to a garage in Santa Monica where the guy who had done the, the James Whale Frankenstein had his, still had his, zzz, all his equipment, all of that crazy all that shit from the original sure, set? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 he, and, he, and he gave it to us. That's all from the original Frankenstein? He gave it to us. That's you hilarious. Know, you know, it was, and you guys, you directed it, but you both wrote it, and you, you fought yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you yeah. fought a little bit. We fought desperately on, I didn't want to do, I was so wrong. I said, no, if we do putting on the wrist. A musical number. If we do a musical, we'll tear it. It's beautiful. It's I pristine. I had, I had that the other way. I thought that you would have been the one that. No, was... no. It was Gene, and he he said. Uh, and finally, one day I came in and said, "I'll I'll shoot it." Yeah. I'll shoot it. We'll see. Yeah. What he got? And he lose? said, "He said, well, why did you? Uh, why?" I said, "Because you was, you were so passionate, so insistent, and you so saw saw it." Then I said, there must be something. So I said, okay, I'll shoot it. I can't imagine, like, it, it, was he volcanic? Everybody gave, was he, every, was yeah, he like, we every, have to do every, this. Yeah, everybody gave me, yeah, he was volcanic. <laughs> he was nuts. <laughs> but everybody gave me credit. And the truth is, it was, it was him. Gene Wilder, all, all the wild. Was, who's was, crazier than I am. Is he? He's crazier than I am. Did, did the relationship between him and Pryor happen on, on Blazing Saddles? You know, between Gene and Richard? I mean, because they did several movies together. No, they didn't. I don't think they ever met each other. What was your relationship with Richard? I mean, did it go back? I mean, were you? I knew Richard when he was a kid, and I was a kid at the Village Vanguard. And when you, what he, were you doing there? You were doing stand up there. Or he was doing. He was doing stand up. I was writing uh, the show of shows. And so you'd go down there. So and I'd watch go the, down there, and I, you know, I'd encourage them, and you know, and that was when he was before he became. I told him how beautiful he was. Yeah. When I asked him to write Blazing Saddles, he did it immediately. We all had bagels and locks for breakfast. Yeah. He had Remy Martin. Yeah, he yeah. Drink Remy Martin. Yeah. Were you concerned about him? I always wonder about that. I mean, always. Like, yeah. I always knew there was. I said I used to say to him, Richard. Too many blondes, too much coke. It's, find another path. I yeah. Mean, really, I was. Yeah. Saying, Let's find another path. Yeah. I said, maybe you'd be, let's, maybe I can turn you into a gambler. Yeah, I'll take you to Vegas. It's a good, it's a different path, you know. 
<laughs> didn't, didn't take. Huh? Yeah, no, I loved him. He, yeah. he was the best stand-up guy that ever lived. I think that's true. I don't think anybody was funnier would stand-up because he was almighty truth. Yeah. Every, everything was just stretching the uh, the truth. And the vulnerability of it. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, you know, he felt Family. so present and so, like, in, you know, like really kind of raw. You're right. You're, Mark, you're right. If the, uh, you've, that's a good word, the vulnerability. You know, like he, he, he just, was so super sensitive about yeah about love and human behavior and yeah what what people are to each other and what they mean and how important caring about each other is. You yeah, know? it's all in his monologues. Yeah, know? yeah, fascinating. So he got so you did all these movies. You won those are all the awards over there. My son, I have a son who's famous. Max. Yeah. He's, he, he likes the the uh, the one I got for science fiction. So what's up there? You got three. It's called the Saturn, by the way. The Saturn. Saturn, very important. Yeah. There's what, three Emmys up there? Well, I just a few. Yeah, there's three Emmys up here. Grammys. There's three Grammys up here. Where's the, where's the Oscars? The Oscars are home. Okay. They're dangerous. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they could. They could hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean they? Yeah, no, they're, they're, <laughs> they're worth some money, huh? You, money. you don't know who comes in and out of here. Right. You know, you know. Your production company, you know, you did some interesting movies that you didn't put your name on originally, and I was curious about. Well, you got something over there from that. Yeah, yeah. The Elephant Man, mm -hmm. and you did the Fly. Did you do the Fly? Yeah, I did the Fly. And you did Francis. Story of Francis Farmer. Yeah, but what? Because like I can't imagine that you looked at the Elephant Man. That, you, that see what I was trying to think like what what in your heart is you know the I I imagine that that David Lynch had to sit with you and tell you what he wanted to do, right? Not at all. He didn't. He was. We had we had finished one draft of it before I even thought of David Lynch. David Lynch. There's a guy called Stuart Kornfeld that was my assistant. Mm -hmm. I know that guy. What, what, did he become a big executive or he something? He became a big executive. Yeah. He, he, he works for Ben Stiller. And he right, creates right. movies for Ben and works right, for right. Ben. Right, right. That's right. That's how I know him, yeah. He's a great, he's a great guy. Yeah. He's really a great guy. Yeah. I love him. And he said, and he was working for me. As a kid? Yeah, as a kid. Yeah. You know, and he said, uh, I said, well, I'm thinking, you know, what attracted you to it? I read the script and I was, uh, I got all teary. <laughs> you know, it was very touching. Yeah. That he was so, that this elephant man, so afflicted and yet so saluting life and the theater and so thinking that life was grand mm. and yet, you know, on the verge of dying every day mm. and being the most. A horrendous looking and grotesque looking human being yeah. in the world yeah. and still having such love of of good things yeah of lovely things yeah and it just just it just you Moving. know it was heart heartbreaking and i thought i could see it I, yeah. I i said this could be a wonderful movie but you didn't want to direct it no, I couldn't direct it because if I put the name Mel Brooks there, yeah, they'd be... say, oh, the Alpha Man, let's see the trunk. You yeah, know, it's like, gonna... it's, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. I had painted myself into a corner. <laughs> I became a very famous uh, comedy guy. Yeah. And, you know, and I couldn't, uh, I, there's no way to shake it. Yeah. No way to shake it. Yeah. And, you know, had I done it after 12 chairs, I could have done it. Right. 
I still was on a good track. You right. Know? <laughs> but, but then uh, it turned out to be, you know, John Hurt was incredibly good and talented. He was really... And then uh, Stuart, the aforementioned Stuart yeah. Kornfeld said, I want you to see a movie, and he took me to the new art. Yeah. And there was a movie playing called Eraser. Eraserhead, yeah. The weird movie. It's a weird movie, yeah. And I said, Stuart, this is a good movie. Uh, this is a good director. You liked the way it looked. I really loved the way it looked. Yeah. And I love the I I love the philosophy of it. Uh-huh. I said it's it it's uh it's it's symbolism that is very understandable. It, it even though it's symbolic, uh-huh. it's completely clear and understandable. Uh-huh. That baby is a monster. Yeah. You know, a baby will toss you into hell. Yeah. And I know it. I've had three babies, you know, (laughs) four babies altogether. So. You have that many kids? I have four kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Three wonderful kids in the New York area, uh, one up in Ithaca, and. uh, One here. And one here. Max is here. And anyway, we worked diligently and, you know, and. On the script, and then I, 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 I could only meet David Lynch at Bob's Big Boy in Burbank. It was crazy. That's it's, what he wanted. That's what he wanted. He said, "I'm comfortable," <laughs> and that's what I eat. So he had a hamburger and a malted and a milkshake. And uh, did you say? Did you ever throw like, "What are we? Why are we? Why are we here?" I did. <laughs> he said, "I, I, I don't eat lunch." He said, "If you, if it's gonna, if it's gonna be lunch." This is where I eat. <laughs> I swear, I, I'm not making that up. I don't know if he's ever changed. You know, now I think maybe he lives in Maine or something. Yeah. He lives in different places. Yeah. He just got an award from AFI, the same day I did. We were, we were, we we gained doctorates. I came out with a stethoscope, thinking yeah. I could really be a doctor. Yeah. Finally. When that, yeah. Finally. And they and they said, No, you're not really a doctor. You're a doctorate. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, shit, yeah. You know? well. Anyway, so David. Yeah. I bought David a blue coat because it was chilly in London when he was rehearsing yeah. before he shot the first day. It was all done in London. And he never took the coat off. It was a double-breasted, that dark, was, dark maybe, blue coat. Maybe uh, it was his magic coat. Blue coat was his magic. It was his magic. He never took it off. Yeah. He directed in that every day in that blue coat. Huh. And uh, I had no qualms. I knew, I knew he would... The only thing he did that scared me, he yeah. said he wanted to make. He said he wanted to do it in black and white. No, he wanted to, you know, he said he wanted to make the mask, uh-huh. the 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 molding uh-huh. from the death mask of the elephant man. Yeah, he wanted to put it on. He wanted to, to, to do it for John Hurt. Yeah, and I said no. It's three and a half hours of makeup. You don't have time for that. Yeah, you don't have time for that. You got it. It was more. It was six hours of makeup. And he talked you into it. And, and I know I wouldn't let him do it. But he did sketch it, and we worked. Oh, it, yeah. oh! So he, you got what uh, the facsimile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a masterpiece, really. Don't yeah, you? It's a great, great movie. And what ha- what attracted you to the fly? I mean, that's another sort of heartbreaking. That was Stuart, Stuart all the way. Oh yeah. Cornfeld <coughs> said, "Look, we're here at Fox. Yeah, they own the Vincent Price. You know, I said it's a joke, Stuart. <laughs> the fly. Is a- I mean, he actually says." <laughs> The fly says, help me, help me, in a southern accent. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? I said, you can't, we can't. He said, well. <laughs> he wanted to re- we say we're going to remake this seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, 
He said he said <laughs> one word. Stewart said he said, let's. Uh, um, he already had a director for me. Yeah, David Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah, he had he had David ready yeah. in, the, in the wings. He said, been talking to David, and he said, metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, oh, Kafka, Kafka. Yeah. I said, oh my God, meta ah metamorphosis. We can do the fly. It won't be silly as a guy walking into a chamber yeah, and yeah. walking out with the head of a fly. Yeah. You know. It'll be a slow process that we will see evolve mm-hmm. little by little mm. until he's no longer a human being, until the genes go the fly way yeah. instead of the human way. Yeah. I said, I think it, now we have to work on the script and we have to, you know. So Cronenberg, we all met and, and uh, Goldblum says, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to audition a girl, my girlfriend. So he said she's tall, she's beautiful, she's a good actress. I think she'd be very good for the leading lady, you know, the, the girl and, and the fly. So I said, okay. I said to Cronenberg, let's, let's look at her. Come on. Yeah. He's, you know, we, we got Jeff to, to play the lead. Let's. Yeah. So she auditions, Gina Davis. Yeah. And we said... She's beautiful and she's touching and you know. And she's having sex with him. It's yeah, gonna, it's a win-win. Yeah, it'll be win-win and, <laughs> and we can pay a scale. You know, everything is scale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why not? So we we hired G- Gina Davis. She was wonderful. And then like and then Francis. I just curious about these these movies are thematic. Francis struggle. came from from Christopher DeWar and Eric Bergman. They just swept along. They had it was their next script. Story so this is Francis, just a this is story of Francis Farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said I love it. I read the script and I said. It, this is horrible and wonderful. Did you know really, her? No. Yeah. I, I only knew her from... From movies? From legend, you know, movies. And then you did the other one with uh, with your wife, the other big movie, 84... Charing Cross Road yeah. with, with Anthony Hopkins, and, and it was a beautiful... Yeah. Well, it was based on a book. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and the book was good, and the, and the movie was good, and, you know. So when you sit there, like you did the... I mean, like yeah, the producers yeah, with the play, that was big... That was surprising, huh? For you? Yeah. You had no idea, right? No, I you know, I was having fun. Yeah. I was really just having I didn't I you know, I had no idea it would be a hit. Yeah. I thought, well, maybe it'll run for for you know. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. And you and, I, you know what what do you live for? Yeah. You you know, you'll you you live occasionally you live for a grilled cheese sandwich and fun. Yep. You know? Hell of a career there, Mr. Brooks. Yeah, so far. I may go in another direction. <laughs> yeah, take your time. Think it through. Yeah, I may go in another direction. I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, uh, maybe, you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything personally in sports. Oh. I, it, so it, I was thinking maybe, maybe, maybe I should own. Sure. Maybe I should own a team. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Why don't you put together a team of all but, Jewish somethings? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, right. good. We'll call them the Maccabees and we'll see what happens, <laughs> you know. But what do you think about now? I mean, like when you look back at the whole thing, or in the in the moments where you're just sort of nostalgic, what are the one? What are the things that sort of? You know, I mean, I know you lost your wife, and that that's that's horrible. difficult. So yeah. I don't really indulge myself in thinking of yesteryear because it. You know, I think about my wife. It's a, you know, frankly, it's a little 
a little too painful, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to get sure. down to details. Yeah. Just, I go on and, you know, and try to, you know, I have friends, comics, yeah. Yeah. you know. And yeah. I talk comedy, I see Carl, I yeah. I go up, I visit with Sid once yeah. in a while, even though that is very painful, but yeah. still he was a giant, you know, and I yeah. I want to salute him and I want to keep him, give him some some measure of 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 respect and happiness, you know. Yeah, yeah, any, yeah. Anything I could do. And uh and I see, you know, people like uh like I'm working I'm working on a horror film with Rudy DeLuca. Uh-huh. And 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 uh Haberman, Haberman and DeLuca are, are, are it's a real one. It's a real horror film for for Brooks films. So are you producing? And it's it? called, you know, it's called Pizza Man and uh-huh. it's very good. Scary? And I will it's very scary and I will I will I will, you know, so I'm busy. I'll produce, uh, you know. And you got the grandkids. How many grandkids you got? Two. I have a beautiful granddaughter, my son Eddie's daughter. Her name is Samantha. Mm. And she does, she plays and stuff. She goes to children's professional school in New York. And she's very talented. That's good. She can dance. She can sing. She's 14. Have you found yourself getting uh, Jewy? No. No. No, not particularly. Yeah. I was never too Jewy. Right. Everybody thinks of me as like, a, you know, one of them prominent Jews in yeah. show business and yet my mother got us ham sandwiches when we were yeah. kids and I was very happily married to an Italian you know for 45 years <laughs> or so you know we're, but you don't get you're not you don't find yourself spiritual as time no, goes on yeah. not, not particularly but I do admire and love Jews I do yeah I think I mean as as a they're very brave people I'm not that religious but as 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 a Jew in in a, in a, you know, in a tribe or something. Yeah. I really admire their gallantry, their courage. Yeah, you know their contributions. Yeah, yeah. I mean how how they survived, and I always mention it in my movies. Like I, I'll always bring up <laughs> something like the Inquisition. Sure. You know? Yeah, you, you, so the that, Inquisition. Yeah, what a show! You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to bring these yeah. things up. Well, I think most of American Judaism is cultural more than. Yeah, religious. You know, it's, just yeah. a, it's a fascinating thing to me. Yeah, that and I've thing. never hit it. it. I'm I'm not ashamed. You know, I'm very proud of. I would of say it. you're the opposite of ashamed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. It's a little. It's a little too. It's where it comes fla- from. Flagrant, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I well, I appreciate you doing this with me. You're good. I appreciate that. I watch your stuff. I listen to you. I you know I checked up on you. Yeah, and I you passed. Know, and I did all. You passed. Oh, good. You're good. You know, you're in thank the 90s. You. You're in the nineties. You're, you're you're smart. You're talented. You're good. with it. You know. Oh, good. Well, I, well, thank you, Mr. Brooks. I it wasn't easy it. being on Conan. He's smart. He's quick. We develop a rapport. You know, like I, I always appreciate. You know, when uh, you know when I watch the guys like you on Carson or whatever that like early on with Conan, I'd established a panel presence. Yeah, I did stand up maybe twice the first year he was on, and then from 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 then it was three or four times. But I'd come sit. And we've we've developed the dynamic, you know, like how you yeah, had. Yeah, exactly. Not, You're wonderful. Where where he's like, oh, here goes. What's yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. I love that. Yeah, me too. It's fine. I was I was the most comfortable uh, with anybody uh, with Johnny Carson. I mean, Johnny Carson was an incre- incredible. Johnny Carson was an audi. Yeah. He he was not playing vocal ping pong with you. Right. Yeah. He was. Like a deer in the headlight, you were on. He was fixated. He couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't get enough of you. 
that doesn't happen anymore. And he laughed. It? He'd fall down. I'd, I'd lose him. You know, yeah, yeah. suddenly he wasn't behind his desk anymore. <laughs> he was on, on the floor. You know, he'd be on the floor. Isn't that great? It was so. I mean, you know, you you can't you can't get more appreciation and love than that. You but know, just you to know? have a connected host who was selfless enough to to not steal the stage and also listen, listen uh, enough listen. to laugh. Yeah, really laugh. Right. Really, you know. It's just so, it's a different thing. Now. I could do anything. One day I, I was on talking to him, and for some reason he had a pair of scissors on the desk. Yeah. So I cut his tie off. <laughs> and then he took the scissors. He cut the lip, uh, the flap off my the pocket. Yeah, pocket. Yeah. My pocket. And then he, <laughs> we turned each other into, into shreds. <laughs> and that was the whole thing? That was the whole thing. And we uh, were hysterical. You like Albert Brooks? I love Albert Brooks. He's brave. <laughs> He's brave. You are too. Yeah. Well, him, take it over the top. Yeah, yeah. But do you remember him when he was a kid? Yeah. Carl, you ought to interview Carl Reiner. I should order. I should Carl him. remembers him when he was a kid and all the crazy. Carl remembers all the crazy things he did because he was Carl's son's Friend. best friends and they used to hang out and do but was things his fa- together. Was his father an entertainer too? Or was that like. Yes, like, his father was Parkyakarkis. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a, a Greek name, you know. Yeah. On the uh, Eddie Cantor show, Eddie Cantor radio show. All uh, right, so what happens now? What do you do the rest of the day? I got to make some calls. I yeah. got friends I, I, that I've, I, I stopped everything so I could be with you for the. Thank you very and I've, much. I've got, I've got a dozen calls I got to make and get back and, you know. Well, thanks again, and I'll let you know when we uh, put this up and you can try to figure out how to it. When are you going to put it up? I don't know. I got to ask my guy. What do you mean your guy? You mean the Gentile who yeah. knows how to work the machine? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know when I talk yeah, to my yeah, guy. Yeah. My guy. I like that. My guy. He's got a power screwdriver. Zip. The yeah, screw is yeah. it. Bang. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Yeah. yeah. Look, yeah. he takes screws out. Zip. They come out. Yeah. I'll let you know. I'll talk to my guy. All right. All right. Spectacular, I mean, I mean, I was look, I was I was beside myself, but I was very comfortable. I don't know if you you know when you grow up a Jew and you grow up around Jews, uh, there's something very familiar about being around Jewish people. But it's very interesting to be as familiar as I felt with Mel, only not only because of his his movies, but just because of, of some sort of you know heritage thing, but also being completely in awe and and overwhelmed and ecstatic and having to manage that. At the same time, simultaneously. So listen, a couple of things you should know. After the interview goes, you're good. You're very good. You should have a a show on late night television. And I said, that'd be great. Maybe you should make some phone calls. He says, you got to talk to Carl. And I'm like, I would love to talk to Carl. He says, Carl, you you have to. I'm going to set it up. You're going to talk to Carl. And I go, okay, how is Carl? And Mel Brooks looks at me and he goes, he's about 80%. I said, he's all right. He said, yeah, he's 80%. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. You know, we'll set it up. That'd be great. And then uh, I'm walking out. I go, thank you, Mr. Brooks. Uh, I appreciate it. He goes, let me walk you out. And I'm like, okay. So we're on the second floor. He walks me out of the office. And he walks me down the hallway. And I'm like, okay, thank you. He goes, yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm going to walk you down. So then he walks me down stairs. And I'm about to walk out of the building. He goes, you know what? I'll walk you outside. And I'm like, great. Okay. So we walk outside and we're standing there. I'm like, all right, well, thank you. He goes, where are you parked? I go, I'm in the parking lot. He goes, yeah, you know what? I'll walk you to your, I'll walk you to your car. 
And we walk out of the parking lot and I'm standing there with Mel Brooks and he says, which car is yours? And I go, it's, it's, a, it's a Camry. He goes, oh, I thought it was this one. And he points at this Bentley he's standing next to. I thought it was this one. I wouldn't have walked you out for a Camry. And then like I, he goes, which Camry is it? Is that one over there? I go, no. And, I, and he goes, I, I said, it's this one here. And I point at my car. And I go, all right, uh, thank you. All right, it's nice to see you. I had a great time. I appreciate you taking the time. And he goes, what do you think? I'm, I'm going to put. I'm gonna watch you put your stuff in your car. Put your stuff in your car. So I put my boom in. I put my bag in. And I go, okay. He goes, good. That's all. I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to make sure you got in your car all right. And I'm like, all right, okay. Well, thank you very much. He goes, you should be on television, late night talk show. I said, okay, you make some calls. Are you going to set this up with Carl? And he goes, yes, I will. I'm going to set it up with Carl. He's about 80%. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm looking forward to it. So stay tuned for Thursday, and I will give you the other side. There's more to this story, people, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, In the meantime, you go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Get on the mailing list. Get the app. Upgrade to the premium app. Uh, Kick in a few shekels if you want. Leave some comments. uh, Buy some merch. Look around. Check my calendar wherever you are to see if I'm coming near you. And thank you again, Mel Brooks. Okay, so I'm just going to leave you with that. Okay, I'm going to leave you with that stuff. And, you know, uh, of course, Boomer lives. And uh, no guitar today. Look forward to having you back for the Carl Reiner talk. Um, uh, Okay, thank you again, Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks.